0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
2: at
1: Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. You're at it again. Another week of fun and excitement, of course. So much to do. <sighs> but the neat thing about life... You're one step closer to the election, at which point you will then take your life back and have freedom to just watch your favorite shows on Netflix. I thought you were just going to say, take your life. I was like, "Hmm." (laughs) no, take it back. It's getting there, maybe. No, it's getting close to that. But no, folks, it's another week, another Monday. Happy Monday to you. Terry's excited. Love Mondays. Love a good Monday. Today, we will be uh, discussing the whole... You know, Colin Kaepernick what would you call it? Freedom of expression. The yes. right to speak your views, uh by not by kneeling, I guess, during the national anthem. And then the process he's gone from being
4: demoted to now being the starter and he got blown out yesterday. Yeah. It so was better to be
3: demoted than to <laughs> be promoted and completely blow it. 45-16, that was that was quite a game. Yeah. But uh Colin Kaepernick. A lot of people have uh, have have spoken out about that. I mean, people just are frustrated by it, including a Supreme Court justice who's now backing it down a bit. A bit, yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg came out, and, and I think she was making kind of a political argument, wasn't she? I mm-hmm. mean, I,
4: well, she's coming at it as a judge, yeah. As obviously, they were asking her as she was a judge. Yesterday, He, uh, some people threw some bottles at Kaepernick. Yeah, booed him. And he said apparently they had bad aim because I didn't even see it, but whatever. <laughs> but he goes on and he says, I don't understand what is un-American about fighting for liberty and justice for everyone, for the equality that this country says it stands for. To me, I see it as very patriotic and American to uphold the United States to the standards that it says it lives by.
3: Yeah. Some people would, some people equate it to like flag burning, which the Supreme Court is totally have the right right to do. Yeah, which is what. But it
4: also really ticks everybody off. Yeah, so you got to have
3: because there's other ways to express your views. Absolutely, and that's just one way. But then he got, I mean, that and the fans throwing bottles is another way. It's violent. Yeah, but apparently they're bad aim. Well, it's so they hard. have something in common with Kaepernick.
4: They're not the quarterback who's supposed to be able to be able to throw That's things
3: it. accurately. Now, if Kaepernick were throwing the bottles... It wouldn't hit anybody, apparently. <laughs> That's a good point. But he could run a bottle to him. Yeah. Great runner. Sure. Um, so we will be talking about Colin Kaepernick and the Constitution, which uh, I think it's a cool discussion. It's important that we have it, try to open it up. Plus, you know, any way we can today, we will be celebrating bosses because it's Bosses Day. Now I need to ask you... Do you want to pursue a lose-lose negotiation?
0: (laughs) Can we just skip to whatever number five is, win-win or whatever?
3: Win-win is number four, and number five is win-win-win. The important difference here is
1: with win-win-win, we all win.
3: That's The Office, Michael Scott. Hmm. If you've ever sat in a meeting where they're trying to teach you win, win, or win, lose, or lose, lose. It's about or, when I start banging my head on the desk. Yeah. Can we just uh, go back to work? I don't know why it is, but a lot of people say, you remind me of Michael Scott. They mm. say that to me. Yeah. And I mean, you, I'm like, you mean Steve Carell? And they're like, no, Michael Scott. Hmm. Mm, how are you supposed to take that? I don't know. Seems kind of rude. It's also, by the way, clean your virtual desktop day. Yeah, today's the day that you just, uh, you know, once you boot up your computer again, you, you, it's it's time to clean up the desktop. The desktop is the place you just throw all those irrelevant, you know, videos that you don't want to forget, but you also don't want it, like, wasting. Out.
4: I keep my desktop
3: pretty tidy. Do you?
4: There's some people you open up, there's like 90 documents yeah. on there. It's you like, keep, find a folder. You keep everything pretty tidy. Yeah, well, it's, it's an issue.
5: Just play this song until the person cleans up their
3: virtual desktop yeah you know it's amazing barney is still alive is barney still alive
4: it is questionable
3: this song yeah
5: see this is the type of the this is the type of song on youtube that people will create
3: hour-long versions of (laughs) now you can listen to it for one hour this is a great way to ruin your monday okay somebody call the boss see if he'll get my neighbor to turn off Barney. It's also Mulligan Day.
5: The Mulligan ball,
3: came from, in 1920s, from a Canadian golfer, David Mulligan, when he made a mistake during a game and he retook his shot. So since then, to call a Mulligan means uh, you have the chance to try it again. Mulligan! Now, but Mulligan, you still take a stroke, right? Mm-hmm. So... It's, it's, it's a redo with a cost. Mm. We've got so much to talk about today. I'll bet you the GOP wishes they could take a mulligan. Not to be rude. Some, not all. Yeah, some. Yeah, a third of the And GOP. some are switching back and forth. They're not quite sure. Some don't need to decide. We'll get to all of that excitement. But first to the headlines with Sadie Nilsson. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? According to
6: a new Wall Street Journal-NBC News poll out Sunday, Hillary Clinton now leads Donald Trump by 11 points, a major increase from her previous six-point lead. Clinton now holds 47% among likely voters compared to Trump's 37%. The poll, conducted after the release of the tape showing Trump made crude remarks about women, also showed that 64% of respondents had concerns about the tape. 53% of respondents said they didn't think the tape should disqualify him from the race. However, about a third of voters believed it should disqualify him. Republican Donald Trump on Saturday proposed mandatory drug tests for himself and particularly Democrat Hillary Clinton in advance of the third and final presidential debate. Trump said, because I don't know what's going on with her. But at the beginning of the last debate, she was all pumped up at the beginning and at the end was like, oh, take me down, said Trump, pretending to faint. As a new poll released Sunday showed Hillary Clinton with an 11-point lead in the presidential race, Donald Trump took to Twitter to tell the world that the election is absolutely rigged at many polling places. While Trump has repeatedly tossed around the rigging accusations in recent days, as sexual assault allegations continue to mount against him, this marks the first time he actually took it to actual voting locations. Previously, he claimed the media was behind all the rigging, thanks to Hillary Clinton, And Trump's latest rigging accusation came shortly after he expressed astonishment that he lost the support of women voters in an early morning tweet storm. And finally, this is for um, all the vegan people out there who actually don't want to be vegans, who wish they could eat meat.
3: Oh, really? This is for them. Are there very many of these people? I don't know. Wow. There could
6: be some like husbands out there who are on vegan diets because their wife wants them to be. Okay, here we go. Hmm. A Silicon Valley company unveiled a new meatless burger designed to taste, smell, look, and even bleed like a beef patty.
4: Ew. Just eat a hamburger. Shh, shh. I mean, so impossible much
6: Foods, a company founded and headed by former Stanford professor Patrick Browns, the team spent five years studying all aspects of a beef burger before settling on their plant based Impossible Burger recipe. We didn't just slap together a bunch of bits and pieces from plants and call it a burger. We did the deep research to understand what makes a burger so delicious, Brown said. Mm. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that.
3: The The vegan wrap.
6: The vegan wrap. Um, The creator said Impossible Foods Burger offers health benefits, including having more protein, less fat, and fewer calories than a lean beef patty. The burger also contains no cholesterol, the company said. Wow. I think this is something worth trying. Because okay. I really want to know what this tastes like and if this well, is actually something that is like a burger.
3: But have you ever had a veggie burger? Or just taken a handful of sawdust? But like a veggie burger does, a veggie <laughs> burger tastes pretty good.
6: Yeah. So I'm guessing this probably tastes a little bit better. So
3: haven't we been there? No. That? This is different. It bleeds.
6: No, it bleeds like Ugh. a burger.
3: Ugh. Did nope. you just say a veggie burger tastes good? Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't taste like a burger burger. It tastes like a veggie
4: burger. This one will moo at you when you cut into it.
6: Yes, that's the whole point.
4: Makes noises. This is
6: for all the the vegans out there, the vegan dads who don't want to be vegans. I'm just saying, hey, here's to you. There's an opportunity for you to eat a burger again. You're welcome.
3: It's it's great. Thank you. Well done,
4: Sadie. I must point out this, this video of the vegan rap. Yeah the the two people rapping sitting in lawn chairs is the best part of the whole thing yeah
3: Well, on the line don't use the name of an animal Don't as an use insult. rat as an insult yeah. yeah
5: you dirty rat hey don't sh- don't, don't, don't do that <laughs> wait are there people eating rats and You're so they're, such a pig they're like sticking up for the rats yeah I confused. you know what Donald
3: Trump needs to hear this oh I love the uh, the jogging in place by the guy dancers. in the back the sleeveless background effort. <sighs> If you want to have this excitement at home, the home version. Just go to YouTube and look up vegan rap, and you'll, you'll enjoy the interview. That's All you need to no. know. You know there are only 150 thousand views on this. Oh
1: come on!
3: Really? Should be more. The sad thing is the ratio of up thumbs to down thumbs. Yeah. It's pretty high. I mean, there's a lot of down thumbs. Yep. It's just, I think, rude. It's just being mean. Just don't don't be mean to. Speaking animals. of being mean, yeah. So uh, you know, in the forty fifth chapter hmm. of craziness in this election process, twenty two days left. By the way, oh, thank you. Yeah. And when you look at it that way, it's only three weeks and a day. Yeah, we're we're, we're in the 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 long the the, the yeah. backstretch. We're coming around. So just think about the last time you broke an arm, and the guy says, yeah, it will probably be about twenty thirty days." Right. Pretty much what you if got. you
4: don't pay attention, it goes by faster. Yeah. But we're looking at you know,
3: But make sure you, you know, keep it wrapped. Yes. Um, not vegan wrap, by the no, way. No, don't do that. Uh, Trump has now thrown down a new test that he wants before the election, a drug test. So it, well, I guess let's listen to the quote and then I need you to explain to me, Terry, why drug testing is that big of a deal. Okay.
1: We're like athletes, right? So athletes... They're making them more and more. But athletes, they make them take a drug test, right? Hmm. I think we should take a drug test prior to the debate. Because I don't know what's going on with her. But at the beginning of her
7: last debate, she was all pumped up at the beginning. And at the end, it was like, oh,
1: take me down. She could barely reach her car. So I think we should take a drug test. I'm w- anyway, I'm willing to do it.
4: So maybe she's on, say, well, Adderall something to help her focus? Yeah. And then it wears off towards the end of the debate.
3: No, it's not that. Right. Okay. Is he, I mean, so is he, he's quite, is this like a subtle way to question her stamina? Well, I
4: don't know, because he said before that that was like the end of the last debate. That was one thing that he praised her for. Mm -hmm. Well, she doesn't give up. She won't quit.
3: Yeah. I think what she, she just seemed worn out from him stalking her. It could have been. Didn't he also suggest that uh, before the debate they run a 5K?
8: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'd love to see him run a 5K. Now, that's a test. Hmm. Yeah, neither of them would make that. No, not very far. Um, so Donald wants a drug test because they really are like athletes. They need to just keep this clean. You don't need any sort
4: of in, you know enhancement.
3: They're the a lot like athletes minus the athle- athleticism. Right, right. But it's the same. So I think if she ends up winning, she's going to have an asterisk uh, yeah. next to her mm-hmm. name. Yeah, she might. Yeah, she gets into the Hall of Fame. They, she probably will have an asterisk. Is there a Presidential her. Hall of Fame? I think it's just called the presidency. They build their House. own their libraries. Yeah, then they get a picture and a bust and everything. Yeah. Hey, uh, so as only Trump could do, um, he disrespected Hillary's, I guess, unimpressive. Looks? I guess.
1: She said, the other day I'm standing, I told you this, but I'm standing at my podium and she walks in front of me, right? She walks in front of me, you know? And when she walked in front of me, believe me, I wasn't impressed. But she walks in front of me.
3: There you go.
5: Honestly, I mean, who laughs at that? The people in that audience. Was she trying to impress Donald Trump? (laughs) I doubt it. Not at all. I doubt it. Uh, Ah.
4: He also was talking about his accusers, yeah. and he said that that doesn't make any sense because
3: they're not my type. Have you seen them? Have you heard them? Those are his words. Have you seen them? Yeah. Have you heard them? That's what he said. It also seems like another big part of the movement, uh, kind of the Trump turn toward the final 22 days is... Less even about Hillary, per se, and more just about the fact that uh, the elections are rigged.
5: He's not talking about elections being stolen, except in some cases when he is talking about elections being stolen.
1: I I would be. If you you want me to tell me that I think the election of Philadelphia and Chicago is going to be fair, I would have to be a, a moron to say that. I, I mean, I, I would have to dislearn everything I learned in 40 years of the being Republican a The Republican
4: Party of Philadelphia would disagree with you. They looked into the allegations from 2012, and they said that there was nothing irregular with what happened there. Yes, there well, maybe, are areas where people only voted for Obama, just like in Utah. There are places maybe, that only voted maybe,
1: for Romney. Maybe, 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 maybe there are uh, situations in which it's right. I, I remember a case when I was associate attorney general where 720 dead people voted in Chicago in the 1982 election.
4: He went on to say that uh, dead people tend to vote Democrat.
3: Yeah. So, so is the po- the point he's making is uh, you you can't trust the rigged elections in a few places right. that really amount to not even a few states per se, right. but a few polling places in a few states because he's litigated this in the eighties. Okay. Now it makes sense. goes
4: on. I, there was some polling over the weekend saying that 41 percent of the electorate thinks the election could be
3: stolen from Trump. See, and the problem with that is you kind of need people win or lose to believe in the election. Nearly three-quarters of
4: Republicans think the election could be stolen. Just 17 percent of Democrats do. Additionally, 28 percent of registered voters think the votes will be counted uh, accurately. So only 28 think that the actual whole process will be counted correctly. Mm. All I got to say to that, thanks, Florida. (laughs) It's your fault.
3: See, but even like Al Gore believed once the Supreme Court ruled on Florida, okay.
4: Right. Done. And so Mike Pence was asked yesterday, will you accept the results? And he said yes. And they went back to talking about how it was rigged. We clipped, what,
5: 10? Will you accept the results of the election? We will absolutely accept the results of the election. Look, uh, the American people will speak uh in an election that'll culminate uh, on November the 8th but uh, the american people are tired uh, okay. of the obvious bias in the national media that's that's where the sense of a rigged election goes here you governor you keep saying rigged election are you concerned that the more you say it the more you actually undermine our democracy unintentionally oh look well one of the great great traditions of america is the peaceful transfer of power and an elections okay. chuck you know you're a student of history elections always get pretty rough i expect they're going to stay just as rough as they are right now going into November the 8th. The stakes okay. are so high in this election. But, but as Donald Trump said in that first debate, uh, and I'll say to you again today, we're going to accept the will of the American people.
3: Wow. It's like they keep saying rigged election, but then they keep bringing up media bias. And so it's, it seems like we're talking about two things. Actual rigged elections where poll places might rig an election. Versus the media having a tendency to favor a candidate. Hmm. What is he doing with Donald
5: Trump? I don't think he knows.
3: I think he just thought he needed a job after he was done with his governor. And it looked like a good opportunity. It's one of those things where you get the job and you're like, ah, boy. This is going to be harder
5: than I thought. So <laughs> Donald Trump would be
3: his Michael Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. You remember Michael Scott's friend that was the misogynist sexist pig that came oh, in. Oh my goodness. To, yeah to visit that's yeah. it's like him becoming the boss. Wow. Yeah. Tough stuff. Well, what do you do? Well you, what you do is you just keep learning, you keep listening. Up next we're going to be talking about uh, Colin Kaepernick and the Constitution. What you know our rights? What are your rights? You know, your right to speak, your right to uh to protest. Are there better ways to do it? Are there healthier ways to do it? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Colin Kaepernick, uh, he's a half-Caucasian, half-African-American NFL football player, and he's made a lot of noise with his protest against racial inequality and uh, protesting the police violence. Kaepernick's protest, which involves taking a knee during the national anthem at NFL football games, has sparked a national outcry. In fact, as we talked about earlier in the game just last night, fans were were angry, booing him. They were throwing bottles and just basically protesting his protest. And we wanted to to open up this discussion a little bit more, try to understand what's behind it, and also including just the recent, you know, uh, position by Judge Ruth Gator uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her her comments also about the right to um, protest and Colin Kaepernick's protest. Joining us to talk to us a little bit about is Professor Bennett L. Gershman. He's a tenured professor at, uh, of law at Pace Law School in New York. Professor Gershman, thank you so much for being with
1: us today. I'm happy to be with you.
3: Talk to us about what 's going on here. I mean the police violence um, we, we see these videos around the country and I guess it 's uh, what Colin Kaepernick and other athletes are doing by just kneeing taking a knee during the national anthem they 're just voicing their right to protest right is that, that's they 're just protesting the violence
1: that's all that 's all they 're doing they they 're finding this Manner of, of protest to be a, a kind of a unique way of bringing you know, recognition to the issues that they want to uh, want people to be thinking about and talking about. Um, obviously, because he's such a high-profile person, you know, an athlete, a quarterback for a professional football team, his uh, at the protest may obviously generate a lot more attention than somebody else who's uh, a more you know an anonymous individual. Um, so, and, and that's the purpose. You know, we, we don't usually see too many athletes uh, standing up uh, on issues. Uh, for whatever reason, they, they choose not to do it. But sometimes uh, athletes will uh, take a stand. And in this case, he took a very strong stand in, in the manner in which he did it. And obviously, it uh, brought about a lot of uh, mm. tension.
3: It certainly did. Is it? I mean, I guess... It kind of seems to have echoes of you know, kind of the burning the flag level of energy. Is it has it reached that level yet?
1: Oh, I don't think it's reached that level yet. Um, I I think it's a lot less uh, incendiary, you might say. Um, It's it's you know kneeling uh, is is not that uh, different from uh, bowing down or um, you know. I mean standing up or kneeling it, 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 you know the difference isn't really that significant I don't think mm. um and but some people take it as a, as a significant uh, act of disobedience uh, to the to the national anthem to the flag whatever but oh it's a far cry I think from um from burning the American flag mm. which happened uh in a, in a in a celebrated case before the Supreme Court uh several years ago um, and, and again, it shows how kind of durable our, our First Amendment free speech provision really is. Um, it allows for very broad speech. Now, now, I recognize that Colin Kaepernick's act is not within the uh, purview let's say, of the First Amendment because the government isn't really doing anything right. to, to silence him. Um, but, but, you know, the whole idea of free speech and, and the ability to communicate views. That's really at the heart of uh, of our democracy
3: so it's a and healthy aspect
1: within that tradition
3: it really is it does show the health of our democracy when you can stand up uh against the, not even so much the government i guess, but he he can make a stand about police violence um and the and it, even if it incites other frustration and anger, if we can make it through this, it should be good for the democracy right.
1: I think it's always good for the democracy if you can have um, issues being debated in, in in a in a way that is not violent. Um, we're not talking about uh, you know marches and demonstrations where there are all sorts of uh, potential for uh, you know disobedient disorder and and rioting and things like that. I mean, this is a very very seems like a calm uh, you know simple act of uh, you know expression. Of some things that he feels uh, are are problems in America, and and uh, you know it's a way of uh, yes of, of encouraging people to to be thinking and talking about these kinds of issues in an intelligent way, hmm. without without violence, without screaming and yelling and throwing things and and fighting. You know, it's 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 a it's a proper way to do it. I, I think yeah. the forum is a, is a good forum to do it in. Uh,
3: well, and in, you have to
1: open to, the yeah. discussion
3: yeah. up somewhere, right? I mean. It's and again these these athletes are role models for communities um, they're all over the country and more and more members of, of teams across the country are are, are taking this on um, what do you think I, I guess who who's really irritated by it?
1: look um, you know we've have a history where you know um, there's such a, a passion for um, our our uh, country and patriotism and uh, America first and you know n- not saying that like that's wrong but sometimes it gets to such a fever pitch mm. that anybody who who suggests that america is not the most perfect and 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 you know great country in the world by by their act or by their words or um, is is seen as an enemy is seen as somebody who is disloyal Nobody is ever suggesting that Colin Kaepernick or persons who protest against things that this country does are disloyal. They want the country to do things better. Um, you know, the fact, I mean, protest is, is part of our heritage. It goes way back to the American Revolution, yeah. you know. Um, so, so, you know, but, but there are people who, who have such fervent feelings about our, our country, right or wrong, that. Anybody who seems to ask questions or take steps to protest certain things in our country that they believe are not uh, right and should be changed, you know, in, in a way that seems to be disloyal or disobedient to these these symbols of our country, people take that as a, as a sign of disloyalty, betrayal uh you're the enemy and and that's really uh i think at the heart of why so many people you know seem to be uh so so angry so enraged at at what Colin Kaepernick and others yeah. are doing what i wonder is if it's
3: i mean i, I guess it's one thing to protest um it, because other athletes uh will maybe link arms but they remain standing for the national anthem but they link arms to show kind of unity and solidarity about this. Um, I, I, I guess there are there are levels of protest, like, like you were saying, like burning the flag is pretty extreme, um, but and even kneeling is, is probably less extreme than the burning of the flag. Is there is does in protest, should we take um, should we take? The issues of the other people, like I, I think of a soldier that loves the NFL, that loves the 49ers, but just got back from Afghanistan and he's built in because of his service, this incredibly profound love of the national anthem, let's say. And then he goes and sees his football heroes not standing for it. What, what does that do for the country?
1: Well, look, I can see how people who, are, uh, who, who feel so passionately about this country, um, they see somebody who seems to be dissenting from that total and fervent, passionate love of the country. They see that person as uh, not sufficiently respecting our, our, our country, our flag, our traditions, and so on. I mean, you know, there's, there's a certain religious quality to this thing where yeah. where you you it's almost like you're committing a sin, right? By not by not fully and totally uh, wrapping yourself around the American flag and the country and so on, you know. And 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 I mean, it, it, yeah, it gets to that point when where where people just become so enraged uh, that that others are not completely and totally. Uh, Supporting the the flag in in the way that everybody else is doing, they see that person as uh, you know a dissenter who who sh- perhaps uh, should be uh, I'm not going to say punished, but should be you know shunned. Yeah. Criticized yes. Yeah. For what he's doing. It really
3: is about symbols, isn't it? I mean, I guess all protest and communication is about symbol
1: making. Oh, of course. Meaning making. You know when I you know when I when I, I when I was a prosecutor, I mean, there were cases involving people who were, who were burning, you know, the American flag were burning their draft cards.
8: Mm-hmm. At
1: that time, we had the, the military draft, uh, compulsory draft, and people were burning the draft cards. Now, you're, you're, right, you're absolutely right. You know, symbols take hold in our society in, in a tremendous way. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, the draft card is a symbol. The flag is a symbol. The, uh, you know, the, the robes of a judge are a symbol. You know, we live by symbols. We mm-hmm. really do and 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 uh, sometimes um you know the 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 you know those, those symbols become so powerful that we sometimes lose lose uh you know the ability to in- carefully and intelligently assess exactly what you know the, those symbols mean and how people who are uh you know undermining those symbols um, what what that what that really means? Mm-hmm. You know, some people just go very quickly from A to Z without <laughs> really thinking about it.
3: Yeah, they just react. It's so uh, it actually, in a weird way, is a symbol of America and Americanism. Is it, you can you can speak your mind um, and protest. That too could be a symbol. And also, man, there are a lot of people that have died for the freedom to do that. So. It's a, it's a fine line, isn't it? A fine balance. We'll take a break. Come back more with uh, Bennett Gershman. He is a, uh, a professor, in, a tenured professor of law at Pace Law School in New York City. And uh, he's talking to us about um, Colin Kaepernick and the Constitution. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about Colin Kaepernick and uh, the Constitution, an an article written in the Huffington Post by our guest, uh, Bennett L. Gershman, who is a professor of law and is walking us through kind of the constitutional side of what Colin Kaepernick is doing. Um, And we appreciate you, Professor Gershman. Thank you so much again for being with
1: us. Glad to be here, man.
3: Talk to us about – there's a history of this um, with – the jehovah's witnesses that didn't want to stand for the um i guess the national anthem and the and the pledge of allegiance back in the forties talk to us about how the Supreme Court ruled and 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 how that applies to colin kaepernick Kaepernick's situation
1: well well back in the early forties we we were in in uh in a war with uh um europe um and uh Around this time, the the a group of Jehovah, young young ch- children of Jehovah's Witnesses in a school in Pennsylvania chose not to um, stand for the recital of the um, Pledge of Allegiance. They 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 didn't do it because they believed that uh, by standing they would be um, observe, um reciting a pledge to an. I, I, idolatry, or, mm, and that yeah. it was it was in, in, antithetical to their religious beliefs, and so they chose not to stand, and and they were expelled from school because of it. Um, but this brought a tremendous amount of attention to 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 this act of disobedience, and this, as, and um, the issue came up to the United States Supreme Court in a case called Gobitis against uh, this district in in, in Pennsylvania. Um The challenge was that they had a right to uh, um, not not to uh, have to stand uh, for for the uh you know, the, the, right. the recital of the pledge because of their religious beliefs and so it was a religion case and the Supreme Court said there would in this case opinion by justice Frankfurt, there was no uh um, violation of their right to uh to pray uh this was a a, a normal You know, act that every school child needed to do, Um, and and they were, uh, and and the Supreme Court upheld the the expulsion. Hmm. After the case, there were riots in throughout the country against this Jehovah's Witness uh, religious sect. Uh, People were tarred and feathered, and 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 horrible, horrible, um, uh, you know, riots against Jehovah's Witnesses. and about a year and a half 2 years later the supreme court took an, another case involving the the same issue and in this case uh barnett against the um another district um justice robert jackson to the supreme court wrote one of the great you know opinions uh in you know enshrining the the role that government plays in in people's um religion and 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 he basically said that the government has no right to intrude into people 's religions. Mm. you know people have a right to think and speak and pray any way they want to, and the government just has to stay out of that um, and and so the Barnett case was a total repudiation of goodbye and basically a, a, you know, in, in, in enshrining solidifying the the role of of religion in American life that people can pray and worship the way they want to or not pray, uh, the way I- at all. Yeah. Um, so, so, but, but I mean, I think the point is that there, there was just, you know, a violent reaction yeah. to, um, to, to, to the, the refusal of these, uh, you know, children to stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance and, and, and the Supreme Court, uh, um, in, you know, endorsing that. Um, I think one of the, and look, we've had riots before. In the 1920s, there were there was red baiting and and witch hunts and pomerades. I mean, against against people who were dissenters. Um, at that time, uh, the you know there was a the huge cry against, against socialism and yeah. you know, and we were in in a time of, of great uh, you know tension. Um, there was you know communism was on the rise around the world. So so you know riots and, and, and this is, is not all that unusual. Um, to see in America, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 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 pleased. I have to say that there's been nothing that I could see as as a kind of a violent reaction.
3: Yeah, it seems a lot as more calm. Exact,
1: yeah, I mean, people are angry and shot, you know, but there's there hasn't been any real, uh, you know, any, any any violence that I could see anyway. No,
3: and it also seems like, and maybe this is uh, related. Uh, you know, the NFL's numbers are dropping as far as viewership goes, and many say it's the political. You know. Uh, process that's going on that's keeping people's attention, um, but maybe some of that is a backlash. That that's if you don't want to watch these athletes and you're so frustrated by their position or their stand, then you can just vote by not paying attention to them.
1: Yeah, and maybe people are saying they they don't like the NFL's reaction. Oh, you know, it's not clear. It's, you know, it's not clear. Maybe um, uh, you're right. That simply they, they, this just intense political season is, is and
3: bad and bad here. NFL this year. I mean, it Maybe. could be, <laughs> Maybe.
1: Yeah. it could
3: be yeah. anything, but I mean, I guess that's the thing about this is it's, it's, it's actually probably very normal to see somebody, you know, if they were desecrating the flag and doing this overt act versus just kneeling, whatever it is, even if you're frustrated by it, even if you disagree with it, even if it disgusts you, in whatever form, you still should appreciate the right of an American expressing a right.
1: It seems to me that that's a core, core, maybe the core part of our democracy: the ability of people to speak their minds in a, you know in a nonviolent way, yeah, uh, and 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 try to raise the consciousness of other people if they can do it. Now you know people can disagree, but that's what democracy is all about. That's you know the idea of of, of a strong, vigorous debate discussion over these big issues is something that makes us such a great Mm. nation.
3: Do you think this election process, do you think the election process, Trump and some of the things he's been saying, uh, the frustration people have historically with uh, the Clintons, do you think that's adding fuel to this fire?
1: I do. I think it's a a time of great divisiveness and anger and uh, um, just intense passions Throughout this country, and and I think it it, it is adding to to almost every issue a a certain level of um, you know uh, intense uh, um, you know fire Mm. and 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 you know something like yeah I I do I definitely do do
3: you do you if you were um, let's say counseling the NFL athletes that that want to ban that want to not ban but have a protest. Would you – how would you counsel them? What advice would you give anybody that wants to protest? Because we've also seen violent protests about the police shootings. I mean that that also you sometimes wonder if there's something else going on in the protest because they don't seem to – people are mad, but it also seems like there's people coming in that are professional protesters <laughs> there to create chaos and confusion. What? How is the healthiest, best way for the democracy to protest?
1: Well, again, you know, I go back. I remember the Olympics many years ago when when these track stars—I think it was John Smith—and they raised their fist. And right. I think it was a sort of a Black Power salute, yeah. something. Yeah. Listen, you know, I, I I would say that as long as their action is 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 peaceful, it's not. Uh, um, aggressive. It's it's a very calm, you know. Um, whether it's wearing a black armband, mm-hmm. whether it's raising your hand, whether it's kneeling. I mean, I would say that 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 they should do what they feel is right, as long as they're not detracting from you know the the, the game, uh, the the their their team, uh, you know. It just seems to me it's it's a it's a uh, an eloquent way of expressing yourself in a way that other people will see, um, I think it's meaningful. I, mm. I, I would say, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say that, listen, don't do it. Yeah. It's, it's bad for business. It's yeah. bad for You know, I mean, I, I think they should be able to express their conscience should- in a way that's, you know, you in, know, in, in a way that's not angry, not violent, uh,
3: Should they get more involved as well? I mean it seems like it 's one thing to protest um, the inequality uh, so so maybe they protest it, but do they also need to be more involved in in communicating the message in being a part of the solution in trying to meet with the police in in their city and bring agree. people together
1: uh, absolutely, I think that would be terrific if they if they would go out and do that. Yeah, I, I, so make it more than just a Sunday yeah, protest. I, I think that would be a terrific uh, step forward if, if they would be part of the community. Oh, it would
3: be so I, fantastic.
1: I, I, I absolutely I, – and I'm not sure they're not. No, yeah, I, maybe I, I they are. Think, yeah. yeah um, I mean, I think, for example, that uh, LeBron James, I think, is involved yeah, in, yeah, totally. in, in issues like this. And I, and I think it's it's a terrific thing to see, that, you know, for young people to see that people that they view as their, their heroes the, – um, are, are involved in trying to make this world a better place. Oh, yeah. You know? That's what it's all about, isn't it?
3: Yeah, then they really are role models, right? They're role yeah. models for more than just being able to play ball. What would exactly. you also say or suggest to the rest of us, kind of as a legal scholar, to be able to maybe increase our tolerance of people's expression of rights?
1: Increase our tolerance? Um, well, I mean, I think there has to be... Uh, um, peaceful discourse i think people have to talk about these kinds of issues you know i mean whether it's in you know i think leaders should go into the schools and talk to the kids about these these issues in a in a a way that can um help them understand um you know why why there is so much turmoil today and, and anger and and try to help people understand that 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 when, by talking about it, by trying to understand it, by bringing police in there and activists, we can, we can, we can uh, uh, understand more about wh- why these, these things are becoming so, so heated and so difficult and, and, and with tragic consequences. Yeah. I mean, po- police want, want people to understand what they're doing, they're, they're, the burdens that they carry, the right. tremendous work that they do for the community. And, and, you, know, and I, you know, I mean, I think that there are people who who have political agendas here, maybe, and, and come into these situations for their own self-interest. You know, um, you, you can never really totally. You know, but I mean, I think it, it's got to be discussion. It's got to be give and take by by people who who have the the ability to um, have have their views uh, heard and understood as role models, as yeah. you say. Yeah, Um, Well,
3: I think I think it's that's the responsibility. You know, when you when you make yourself the center of attention by kneeling, then then you then you have to, you know, follow it up with action. And the rest of us also have to follow it up with, you know, take a deep breath, breathe through it and recognize that people have to have the right to communicate. Um, And if we could all do it more respectfully, we might get somewhere. We will. And by the way, that could totally be started with our leaders as well. We will take a break, folks. We appreciate Bennett Gershman so much for being with us again, tenured professor of law at Pace Law School. You can find more of his writings from Huffington Post and Slate Magazine. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier, happier lives.
5: It's my house, come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's
3: Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back. You know what? It's uh, You live in a country, folks, that uh, espouses freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, right? But with that comes some serious responsibility. Not an easy deal, I'm telling you. But when you get down to freedom of uh, of expression, can you handle seeing... A Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick kneel during your national anthem. Can you handle that? Because a lot of the rhetoric coming out of the campaign, especially I think on the Trump side, is it sometimes makes you wonder if if we are moving toward a stronger democracy or you know more of despotism, some rigid ruler that is going to manage the press and disavow people's rights and have people arrested. You know, it's it's not the job of the president to get somebody arrested. That would be the job of the Justice Department. And well, yeah, but the Justice Department, the whole system's rigged. OK, so there's ways that we have to handle this stuff. And one way to do it would be to find leaders that you do believe in and leaders that can have sway, right? And if you can't be politically active, which I think most of us probably aren't nearly as politically active as we probably ought to be, if it upsets you to see a Colin Kaepernick kneeling, then do something. You have the right to express your own opinions and feelings. Write the NFL. Write the team, the 49ers. That's your right. And... Express and teach why the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem are so important. I mean, I get it, too. There are people that have gone and died for the national, you know, for the rights and, and the things espoused in the National Anthem. And um, yet w- your anger, your frustration, your threatening to harm people, your bottle throwing is still, I guess, expression, I guess. It's just probably not very helpful. And anybody that is in the position of a Colin Kaepernick that wants to have more uh, respect of others that are watching his protest, then also get up and help us find solutions for this. Nobody has more power than, I think, the NFL and the professional uh, sports leagues to influence this, really. Cops love you. The youth love you. The people getting shot love you. The families of the victims getting shot. People love the NFL. So it could be a perfect solution if we could all get involved and find solutions, not just more division. There's always an answer of solutions. There's always a way to bring us more together. There's also a way to divide us. Let's find the way together. We'll take a break. We'll be back. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you live longer and love stronger. We'll be back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
8: This is the Matt Townsend
2: Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. Happy Monday to you. Get excited. It's good. For Monday? Yeah. Why? I mean, you, you're still alive.
4: Most people show up to the office. There's 90 email they have to go through. Yeah.
3: Isn't that great? There's probably
4: some
5: meeting. You're popular. You Looks got a like lot. somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Not me. This, there's none of that here. There's. It's just. I had th- two emails this morning. It was awesome. It means you're employed. It means you've got a great opportunity. Yeah,
4: but it seems like all the junk of your employment, yeah, all drops on Monday. That's kind of true. By Tuesday, you've kind of muddled through most of it. Yeah,
3: but you're still you you know what you know that Tuesday will be better. Wednesday gets even better. Thursday, you're exhausted, hmm. and then Friday, you just coast because you're right. about to die. It's all good. <laughs> I don't know. Friday,
4: people kind of get perked up because you know it's almost over. Yeah, it's really
3: it's fun. Uh, yeah, life is good. I think part of that's because. I'm taking next week off. Yeah, I know. So, neener, neener. (laughs) Hey, it's also Boss's Day today. If you're keeping score, today's the day we celebrate your boss.
5: Uh, We have sort of a problem here. Yeah,
1: you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: I'm sorry about that. I I forgot. Mm, Yeah. You
5: see, we're putting (laughs) the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see
3: the memo? Wow. Office space. You
4: ever had a boss or supervisor like that? No. Yeah, I did. Did you? Anyone who would use the term, if you could do that, that would be great. Great. And it's like, are you doing that as a joke because of this movie, office space? Or are you doing this without knowing? No, I really talk this way. Office space.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's enough to make you not appreciate your boss. Yeah. But today, you know, is the day that we're supposed to celebrate bosses. Hmm. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll get right on that. The day was created by Patricia Bays Harosky in was, 1958. Who was a boss. Who, who was a boss. <laughs> and felt there was no respect. She selected was for her father's birthday, the day, today's date, because, you know, he was a great boss. Wow. Yeah. Plus, it's really uh, – then Hallmark pushed it too because it's a great day to get your boss a card. Just another day. Thank so. him for being your boss. We appreciate so much Don Sheline hmm. or Shellanine, as some people call him. Schellenine? <laughs> That's what Jerem Jordan calls Is this the
4: real life?
3: Oh, no. A little tribute Is this just fantasy? to our boss. There you go. Oh, you can hear that? Yeah. Oh. <sighs> we appreciate – Our bosses—they're—they're fantastic. There's so many of them. And listening. And listening. It's also Clean Up Your Virtual Desktop Day.
9: Clean up is
8: fun when we
9: clean and sing. This
3: This is the song you can play when you're doing your cleanup.
0: Clean Clean up is fun. This is a children's cleaning
3: song. It's also a desktop, virtual desktop cleanup day. This is
5: on your playlist of Uh cleaning songs.
3: Of all my cleaning song favorites, this is easily one of them. Uh, if we want to get rid of that song, then we could get to Mulligan Day. <laughs> <Just> moving <laughs> right? right along. Why
5: would we want to do that?
3: I'm just saying. Moving right along. Then Mulligan Day is the day you, if you have a bad shot in golf, you just take a mulligan. Yeah. Redo it. Why not? For, for a stroke. Right? Or not. Or not. If, I mean, who's counting? Yeah just a game of, you know, out there
4: with friends. You're just having some fun. Use your foot wedge.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very polite clap there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the day, Mulligan Day, was named after David Mulligan, who was the first uh, recognized cheater in golf. Mm-hmm. And then when they caught him, they're like, no, 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 no. That, you actually, you took another shot there. So, Mulligan, you, silly guy. You little mulligan. So uh, today's mulligan day. Do you golf? I do. Not to brag, but I'm pretty good. I've I have, golfed twice. I have a great wedge game. Mm. Great. I'm pretty much irons. I'm pretty good with the irons. I can usually drive the
4: fairways pretty well, but I always nine putt the green. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. It's usually not the best way to play.
3: No. <laughs> we need to go more golf. Let's go golfing as a team. Can we broadcast live? Let's actually ask Don, our boss, if he would pay for if it. If golfing wasn't like
5: eight hours for a round. Yeah, it's like three. That uh, depends if you stop to have lunch.
4: Or you threw nine putt every hole.
5: Oh, yeah, that's it just true. takes forever. Speaking of bosses, I went golfing with my boss one time, and he brought along his four-year-old. Oh, boy. And, uh, you know, every time somebody would make a mistake, the four-year-old would bring it up like,
3: your ball just went in the water. Hey, punk, come here. Can you go in that water and get my ball for me? I went golfing with my kid.
4: boss once. He ran the golf cart into a tree. Ruined really? It. We were banned from the golf course.
3: You, your bosses are horrible golfers.
4: We were talking. I look up and it went, tree! And I went to dive out of the golf cart. Because that's what you do to yeah. preserve your own life. And I ran into the, like, the the framing of the golf cart. Wow. Slammed me up against the chest and I bounced onto the ground. Goes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We were banned. It's okay. That's all
3: right. Whatever. Hey, it's there's all right. lots of golf courses out there. We we've got a lot we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to get into um, an entrepreneur's manifesto. So if you are going to, if you want to start a business, we'll be we'll be talking with a true blue expert that can teach you how to be a better entrepreneur. It's hard to do. Yes. Lot of risk. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to we'll get to that if you if if you want to get going in your own business you're going to, you will want to listen to this hour plus i will be giving some some tips as well as a guy that's owned a business for 20 years it's going to be great but first let's get to Sadie Nelson with the headlines sadie what's going on around the rest of the country A
6: Washington Post-ABC News poll published Sunday saw Hillary Clinton leading Donald Trump by just 4 percent. Also among likely voters, a difference within the survey's margin of error and therefore a a statistical tie. A Wall Wall Street Journal-NBC News poll has Clinton leading 47 to 37 over Trump. The Real Clear Politics average, which includes both polls and other recent surveys, has Clinton leading by 5.5 percent. While speaking at the International Chiefs of Police Conference in San Diego on Sunday, FBI Director James Comey said the idea that biased police are killing at epidemic rates is making it more difficult for officers to do their jobs and harder for departments to recruit. Like in any industry, there are bad cops, but the truth is this. Police officers are overwhelmingly good people who just want to help and people who say otherwise have no idea what they're talking about. An active-duty member of the U.S. Navy has been arrested after his truck plunged off a bridge on Saturday, killing four people gathered at a festival below. Nine people were also injured in the accident, which police say may be a result of drunk driving. Authorities have identified the truck driver as 25-year-old Richard Anthony Sapolio, who was stationed at the Coronado Island Naval Base near San Diego. Sapolio was also injured in the accident and is now recovering from major injuries at a hospital. Sapolio's vehicle went through a guardrail on the San Diego Coronado Bridge and plunged into a cra- crowd gathered at a park below. California highway, highway Patrol says the polio is under suspicion of drunk driving under the influence, causing deaths and injuries. And finally, yes. in uh, Michigan, there was a mom who is being hailed by parents, for a viral post showing the questions her kids must answer before touching the thermostat. Hmm. The note reads, unless you answer yes to any of, to sorry, to all of these, do not turn on the heat. Are you wearing a hoodie, pants, socks? Is it November? Yes. Do you pay the gas bill? Yes.
8: Wow. Oh.
6: <laughs> she made the post public when a friend asked her to share it, and the next time she logged into Facebook, she saw her post had taken off with thousands of likes, shares, and comments. Uh, This is the funny part of the story, though. She accidentally misspelled unless. She omitted an S from unless. And she really regrets that because now it's gone viral and Uh thousands and thousands of people have seen this post. And She she says, if I would have known something like this were to go viral, I would have maybe typed it up or something and checked my spelling.
3: Oh, darn it.
6: Hate it when that happens. Don't
3: you hate that?
6: Yeah, because I have so many things go viral that I... Also misspell on and I found just wish it's actually worth it,
3: it. Even if they go if they go viral and you have a misspelling, that's fine because you still got the virility. Well,
6: many, you're uh, Matt Townsend, so that's right. you can just kind of do that. Not not all of us it. can do that.
4: How many likes before something equals viral? A million. Is it a million? How many did this woman get? Did it say? I
6: don't think it's a, said. Mi- a
3: million, okay. maybe a lot. If you got 250,000 views I, or likes, I'll
4: watch, say, a news program and they go, this, this video has 2000 likes. It's gone viral. I'm like, 2000, really? Is no. Is that the number? I think it's bigger.
6: It has to be at least a million in my view. At least really? for YouTube to start paying you, it's got to be like yeah. 2000 or something. But... Well, yeah.
3: Well, but you need, yeah, you need, that's a whole different league. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think the word viral is being used quite a bit. Yeah, Overused. I remember back in the day when viral just actually was very negative.
4: Yes, viral was a completely different uh, yeah. definition there.
3: I think I have the virus. Oh, boy. You will now die. Well, we have so much to uh, to talk about today. Um, have you? Did you see the uh, Trump, the guy trying to steal the Trump sign? Heard the story, yes. Yeah, saw the video. It that was, was
5: very entertaining.
3: <laughs> hilarious. Why would you – I mean obviously the guy has been stealing a lot of these signs because then the owner of the sign said, "Okay, I better electrify my Donald Trump signage. So they show the video of this guy. We'll post it on our uh, Twitter feed at Dr. Matt Show. But they just show the neighbor pass by and then come back, run up to the lawn, grab the sign, and then – (laughs) Taze it. <laughs> he got zapped. Do political signs, do they influence you to vote? Um, in a way, yeah, because it, your neighbor. Then if you like your neighbors and you're like, oh, wow. They are trying to electrocute other neighbors that don't like Trump.
4: No, I would support that. I'm for him. But I just, I see all the signs like, do they work? I think they work I guess you get the at a subconscious out, but...
3: level. You feel like oh, because that's what I was thinking, and they're thinking it. So now I'm more of the unified team. Now I'm part of the social team.
4: I just get annoyed, and I tend to look at the if I see too many signs, which I don't know what that number is for me, but there's a point where they've crossed a line. I I tend not to vote for that person.
5: Yeah, really? I think that's... I think if they were electrified, that would
3: certainly influence <laughs> me. Like, I'll, I'll vote for him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be See, fun to watch. But what you're what you're saying is the signs do work. In the opposite In way. In the inverse way, right. So mm-hmm. they do work with you. Well, but you also—it's
4: not really the point of the sign.
3: But you're very anti. You don't want to be a part of the team. Don't market to me. <laughs> I,
4: don't, I don't mind if you market to me, but if I can tell you're marketing to me, ugh.
3: I
5: think, I think they I test say. those electrified signs on lab rats, by the way. They they, really? Everything's tested yeah. on lab rats. Yeah,
3: yeah. That I mean, this guy got zapped. Like he was shaking his hand for a good minute after. Love how he uh, put up his hood to try to disguise himself a little bit. But wasn't he still wearing green pants? Was he (laughs) the guy wearing green pants, or was that? It was a blue, a blue hoodie, I believe. A blue hoodie was wearing
5: shorts, wasn't he? Oh,
3: was he? He was jogging. I, I saw somebody else wearing green pants yesterday, and I can't get it out of my head. I don't know. I don't remember. Anyway, um, Lime Green.
4: So, yeah, let, uh, booby-trap your signs if you uh, want to save them from people stealing.
3: But the problem sign. is I don't – are a lot of people stealing Hillary Clinton signs? I don't know. Depends on the neighborhood. Because it seems like everybody that's electrocuting or electrifying their signs tend to be Trump signs. If you dropped
4: a Hillary Clinton sign in my neighborhood, it either get stolen or your house would get egged
3: probably. Yeah, or shot. You'd be hurt. Yeah, either way. Okay. Good to know. Um, by the way, talking about – speaking about power, a utility company says two crows triggered a power outage in mid-July hmm. that knocked out service to about 100,000 customers.
4: Do you know how they know it was two crows? No. Isn't they, two crows a band? They, no, that'd be the uh, counting crows. Okay. But
3: if you count one and you count two – Well, they probably found two crows. Okay. I,
4: I worked at a radio station once. We went off the air. Uh-huh. A, uh huh. A duck – crawled up into the power lines and they found it because they found a roasted duck. Oh,
3: I love roasted duck, though. At the, uh, I've the never had roasted out. crow. I don't this, know. By the way, this this is Crows on the Playground from, oh, it's the, from birds. the Birds. That's a creepy Creepiest movie, movie on earth. Um. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff has other creepy movies that we'll be getting to today, I'm sure.
5: Well, I've just never been scared of birds. Really?
3: Now, if you were to
5: watch Mel Brooks' version of this scene, that is something I would be terrified of.
3: Okay, are you are you is this a throwdown? Are you trying to to let us are you want us to creep you out with birds? No. What I'm
5: saying Terry is Gary and I are going to
3: creep <laughs> you out with birds.
5: What I'm saying is Mel Brooks does a spoof of this scene in his movie High Anxiety, and instead of them being crows, they're pigeons. And uh, they don't attack him with their beaks. They attack him with something else. Yeah. Let's just say.
3: Droppings. <laughs> Dive bomb. Yeah. Gets that, would, messy. that would gross you out. Okay. We, I'm gonna. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that. Uh, Rocky Mountain Power spokesman Dave Eskelson says that an investigation shows the crows touched a capacitor bank. Yeah. Don't do that. It's a device that controls voltage at a substation in Southwest Idaho. He says the capacitor bank caught fire, and a separate device that should have rerouted electricity malfunctioned, sending an entire substation offline.
4: Huh. And By the way, they found two roasted crow.
3: Actually, the, the, they say the company says the crows were vaporized.
4: Oh, so it wasn't even roasted. It was just like incident. feathers.
3: Have you ever tried crow? Why do so no. many people not crow if they haven't tried it? I don't, it's a great question. I've never tried crow. I've tried. Don't get me wrong. I've tried pigeon well, somebody's, and magpie. Somebody's
5: tried it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have that saying, you know, to eat crow. Yeah.
4: That was a long way to get there. Good, though.
5: That was really good. And
4: um, <laughs> vaporized. Yeah. That's a big deal. It's just a puff. There's um, – in Death Valley, I saw this. It was a video. Uh, on a, it was a news report. Uh, in Death Valley, there is a solar panel array. Mm-hmm. And they have all the solar panels around yeah. this tower, and they shoot all – they, they kind of angle all the sun energy back right. up at the,
3: pan, the it's collector right at, panels. It's right at the – is it in Death Valley? Is, it's right at the It's right at the border between Nevada and okay. Col- or California right before you kind of go up and the canyon. like,
4: birds fly in, uh-huh. and it's just this puff oh, of feathers is as it they, really they, they cross oh, the, the, no, the, it is, the it's,
3: beam. There's thousands and they're of trying panels. To, they're
4: trying to figure out ways to keep Mirrors. the birds away. <laughs> but something keeps attracting them in, and there's just poof, poof,
3: poof. <laughs> um, it, honestly, it would make sense because it is the craziest thing you've ever seen.
4: And then you see the spokesperson come out, and he's like, "You know, we need to save the birds. We're working to save the bird." And but you can see in his expression, really don't care. <laughs>
3: caw, caw. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. Okay, interesting stuff. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking with uh steve mariotti about entrepreneuring how do you teach the youth how do you teach kids today to get out there start your own business be your own boss it is boss's day talking entrepreneuring entrepreneuring up next right here on the matt townsend show The main concerns of this election have included economic growth and education. Our next guest believes that teaching entrepreneurship to youth is the key to solving both of those issues. With 30 years experience teaching at-risk youth and his organization for teaching entrepreneurship, Steve Mariotti has surmised his work in his book, An Entrepreneur's Manifesto. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Nan. I'm really glad to be on. This is, um, I think, I think this is a huge opportunity. I as a, I am an entrepreneur, but what I've been finding is, as I talk to you know some young adults, those that are that are actually entering college, there's there's kind of an inherent fear of starting your own thing versus getting in. You know, just get your job, do your job, and I would bet in um kind of in in lower economic communities, there might be even more of a of a fear of of taking such a risk is that how did you get into teaching entrepreneurship and building your network for teaching entrepreneurship?
9: um Well, I got started in nineteen eighty one um i'm sixty three now so i've been working on in the field for thirty five years and um I got mugged in september of eighty one and went to a therapist and uh, Albert Ellis was his name and he recommended that I uh, go into the toughest schools in New York City and just begin teaching which I did and I totally overcame my post-traumatic uh, stress disorder I totally stopped thinking about the money and um, basically stayed as an educator of low-income youth uh, for over three decades, so it's been a great um, wonderful career for me huh I mean and um,
3: what what do you see? what do you see with those low income youth when it comes to uh,
9: entrepreneurialism? Uh, it, I think that this is a huge breakthrough for our country and for the world. I've found that children that are born into poverty or children that are born with an illness or Uh, with a physical defect often are more capable of becoming entrepreneurs. Um, They have uh, a different view of risk. They don't view life in terms of hierarchies, uh, which means that you have a boss and a boss's boss and a boss's boss and, you know, you judge yourself on your grades and what your SAT scores were and all that kind of stuff but children that are, are born in, with a lot of pain in their lives and a lot of obstacles in their lives and it can be earning income uh, because disease or depression or physical handicap um, it can also put one in a position of looking at markets in a very unique way. And you get a head start as far as the entrepreneurial mind frame. So I think that the... Uh, the most uh, market-oriented people in our in our country are actually teenage, um, low-income African-American men, and between the ages of 15 and, and 22, just to give you a, a practical example of the implications of that, mm. and if people would poll at that age group and say, are you in favor of... Entrepreneurship and low taxes and less regulation. And do you think that um, you know everybody should be uh, have the skills to start a small business? I think they pull, you know, uh, at the Mitt Romney level to give a practical example. Yeah. And I think that's a goldmine for our community that they don't want to go into the welfare system or or um, uh, be part of a. A, a large speed apparatus. Their heroes are all entrepreneurs. So I wanted to meet that point.
3: Oh, that's huge. And, um, I mean, it's also cool because sometimes you'd see, you'll see somebody come out of uh, even that demographic you were just expressing, the African-American community, and you'll see maybe an entertainer or an athlete that's come out. And they don't just come out um, and, you know, make money as an athlete, but they turn it into, like, a major mega enterprise I, I look at just people that uh, Magic Johnson is a f- is an enormous business
9: owner, and he wasn't just a basketball player. Is Michael Jordan, and yeah, Derek Jeter, yeah. You know, it's um, and people miss that uh, somehow the media isn't picking up on that. But that's a huge advantage asset we have in our country is that many people that we've assumed weren't going to be interested in business. Is the exact opposite. Oh, yeah. I mean... And I've also found... Oh, for, go ahead. No, go ahead. Though. I've also found... Um, I, I did a program for two years with children that were terminally ill, and I found that the nurses would come up to me and say their rate of depression would drop by 90%. And then I taught a program for three years with... Young people that were paralyzed from either birth or from an accident, and they had the highest rates of business formation that I've ever seen in my career. Out of 46, you know, uh, young people that had to use a wheelchair or or something even more um, intense than that, we ended up having 37 ongoing businesses of at least three thousand dollars a year. So. Wow. It was a, there's a huge amount of business acumen and business desire in communities that we never think about. It's a hidden asset, mm. and that's why I think if we can tap into that, we're going to have a renaissance in this country and and around the, and, and around the world as well. I
3: mean, it really makes sense. You're, you're you're saying we need to target the people that might seem like the least. Um, desirable to target, except they're desirable because they, they understand conflict, they understand a hard life, and they're willing to kind of take the risks that you need to take to be an entrepreneur.
9: Yes. And one other thing, too, whenever you are put into a difficult situation from either health or poverty, or, and we all go through it at times in our life, but you see the world from a different perspective— and if those people are taught to look at that perspective as a comparative advantage, or a potential comparative advantage, um, that can be a goldmine. mine. Mm. will see things, inventions or processes or services, that one would only see if one was in a bad neighborhood or in a hospital or in a community that was not doing well. My favorite economist, F.A. Hayek, who won the Nobel Prize, in 74, and I was fortunate enough to um, um, be his uh, assistant for four months, oh, wow! but he always write about the concept of unique knowledge of time and place, and he'd say that every human being has unique knowledge of time and place, all that means is at a particular time and at a particular place, you might want a hot dog stand, it's nothing complicated. But so that, that meant that every human being could make their living in a market economy. Hmm. And I've always agreed with that.
3: Because they bring a unique knowledge about what needs what might go somewhere in their world that could be profitable.
9: Exactly. And they become the specialist Yeah. in that unique time period and a unique set of pain or unique uh, issues. I've written a lot about it, and um, I want to make a little plug for my, yeah. my um, uh, two books that have sold really well this year, and I'm really hoping they'll you know, continue to sell because I think they can help a lot of people. One is an entrepreneur's manifesto, which makes the case for an entrepreneurial revolution worldwide as a way to keep our democracies and to solve problems and to kill poverty once and for all. And the other book that sold almost a million copies worldwide is The Young Entrepreneur's Guide to Starting and Running a Business, Hmm. and um, that I did as founder of the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, and I'm now a fellow at Philadelphia University, which has incredible programs to help people create products and to market them. It's one of my favorite uh, schools uh, in the whole world, frankly.
3: You know what? let's Two great books. Um, I'd love to come back and talk about The Manifesto more and find out what are some of the points? What are some of the lessons that uh, that make up The Entrepreneur's Manifesto? And, and what is this movement you're trying to start and what we can do kind of more at a local level with our own kids, our own families? Uh, it is such an interesting idea. We'll take a break. More with Steve Mariotti and his book, An Entrepreneur's Manifesto. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead better lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us on the phone is Steve Mariotti. He founded the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship and is also the author of many books. One book we're talking about today uh, is An Entrepreneur's Manifesto, where he's, he's trying to, um, I guess, motivate and, and, and instigate a, a movement where we take underprivileged youth— um, also, maybe people that we we tend to discard in our community because of um, just you name it, because of lack of opportunity, because of illness or sickness or any kind of uh, just disability. And instead, let's empower those people because they tend to be ideal for creating opportunities of entrepreneuring. Um, to to go out and and make a new life and really really create a revolution financially for the inner cities as well. Um, am I on the right to mark here, Steve? Trying to describe your mission?
9: Absolutely. Um, you hit all the key points. And in my book, an entrepreneur's manifesto, um, I developed the entrepreneur's bill of rights, which um. I don't think it's ever been done before. At least I couldn't find it in the literature. But it's, it's things like the right to have a fair and simple tax code, uh, the right to fail, the right to seek new opportunities, the right to be different, um, the uh, right to destroy uh, uh, another business. And by destroy, I, I mean that in an economic sense. But like, the, yeah, take compete. Right compete. Yeah. Yes. Uh, beautiful thing for the consumer and the right to create and of course the right to not be over-regulated. We've got um, so many issues with taxation and regulation which don't disturb wealthy people because they have lawyers and accountants but for somebody who's in poverty the tax code is incomprehensible. It's Mm. just terrible and Many of the regulations prevent low-income people from starting businesses um, because the existing businesses, the existing uh, establishment doesn't want the competition. And I, I just think that's unethical and wrong. We need to get our tax code right. We need to deregulate. We need to get entrepreneurial education into every school system starting at kindergarten or first grade. And I, I want to tell your um, listeners a, a very quick story. Yeah. Uh, a year and a half ago, I was invited to Cambodia and to Vietnam, um, and I was invited by the governments to give advice on how to end poverty. And as re- you'll recall, uh, Vietnam is a socialist or communist government. Right. So. I, I went with great uh, trepidation and, and, frankly, reluctance. But when I got there, the first thing I said, you've got to get out of, of communism, socialism, and you've got to get your tax code right. It turns out that Vietnam has a 10% flat tax and that low-income people don't pay any tax. And they are growing at almost eight percent a year, oh wow, which means they're doubling every nine years. Now they have a lot of issues with civil rights, they haven't learned the bill of rights issues that we that we've been pretty good at,, yeah. but every country that gets their tax code low, simple, and fair, and makes the entrepreneur into a hero, which is what she is and what he is a job creator, a problem solver. Those countries over the next 100 years are just going to
3: boom. They're going to take off, aren't they? It's um, – is it I, – I guess, Steve, so part of the dilemma is if we want to empower these kind of um, – th- almost the forgotten, right? The ones that we would never consider to be economic powers or even opportunists, uh, those that live in poverty um, or, I, I guess, uh, or minority status – Is it – there's a lot of legislation that could take place and really, I guess, needs to take place to make your manifesto work.
9: Absolutely. Um, The big thing is taxation and regulation, but also the school systems, I think, need to become, you know, uh, a voucher-driven where the parents and the students are determining, um, you know, where the capital – uh, flows to and let schools compete and teachers, teachers compete, because I think that would really help education, and as a lifelong teacher, I think it would really help my field, which has been kind of nationalized and, and, and hurt in many ways because of that. But it's it's not the power to legislate, it's the power to de-legislate, is, mm. is what I think we need over the next uh, 20 or 30 years. And... Um, I'm a big optimist about the future and uh particularly in your part of the country um you you know you guys are have huge opportunities and a great respect for the uh the entrepreneurial process and you should be very very proud of that
3: oh that i mean that's really good to know because sometimes you wonder uh how how this gets ahead i i personally as an entrepreneur it's it's one of the hardest things. I I've experienced because I you don't know going in. You just have a dream, right? You just have an idea. Um, But then you you do. You have to you have to face the taxes and you have to face to make sure it's legal and then competition and then cash flow. There's there's a lot of these issues. How do you teach all of this? Is this a course that you'd propose? Um, How do you teach it? If somebody's gone to MBA school, it's still hard. How do you teach somebody that's just struggling without a lot of education?
9: Um, You are totally right. One of the hardest things to do uh, in the world, any place in the world, is to start a business and keep it going. And it's also a political act. I think the most political revolutionary act you can do in a positive sense uh, that encourages liberty and, and self-reliance is to, is to start a business. Um, I, the younger you start, the better people get at it. I was an elementary school teacher for four years, and I taught every business concept in first grade, mm. with the exception of net present value, which is you know uh, a complex topic that you pretty much get in MBA school. But I found that it's just like soccer, or golf or football, baseball, or science, or writing, or speaking, human beings get very good at those things, primarily because they start as children, um, and tragically, globally, the um, education for entrepreneurs has been primarily passed down from parents to children, mm. that the school system has not said, oh my heavens, we need to teach every child how to own and how to be an entrepreneur, because it's not just being an entrepreneur, it's also the craft of owning the output of the entrepreneurial process. Otherwise you end up creating wealth for someone else. So making those high priorities in our school systems, everywhere in the world, not just uh, here in America, but everywhere in the world i think we can create great abundance a lot of happiness and destroy poverty once and for
3: all mm. no i i agree and i and i think boy to put it back to put the power back in the hands of the people on that level um could be incredibly empowering i mean that that's to To have to have your own ability to influence and know how to do it and know that you can influence your own family's lives, your own careers, and your own financial destiny. That's so freeing. What would you suggest as we as we kind of go forward? And um, how how do I get my kids? Like you say, you teach a lot of this to your kids. How do you do it? How do we get it instilled and down to the to the ground level with my kids?
9: Um, I would I would start with the literature. Um, I've written a, a, you know 38 books for children. You can uh, find all of them on the internet. Uh, they were written both for in school and for uh, children that are homeschooled. But you just go to Amazon.com and you type my last name in, which is M A R I O T T I, like Marriott yeah. uh, hotel, but with an I at the end. And my first name is Steve. And uh, there's a great textbook that took me 20 years to write, and uh, it's um, uh, called Entrepreneurship, How to Start Knowing Your Business. And that's the top uh, junior high and high school textbook,
8: Hmm.
9: Uh, and it's used by the organization that I founded, um, the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, which is uh, based in New York City and run by this incredible young man uh, named Sean Osborne. But I encourage communities to start their own programs, and it's not that hard. You'll find a local person who's had small business experience, likes working with young people, and get together a board of advisors, order some curriculum, take them on field trips to local businesses, take them to a wholesaler, and then take them to a flea market, and then all week, every year, have them write a business plan. And all that stuff is outlined in the books I've, I've, hmm. I've written. And um, I, I encourage people to, to actually start their, their own programs and just call it the Young Entrepreneur's Program of, of uh, Brigham Young, yeah. the Young Entrepreneur's Program of Celine or whatever. And NIFD uh, is great as a resource. Our uh, website is www. Uh, uh, nfte. Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship dot com. Um, it's a nonprofit but we use dot com. And then a school that I think um, people should look more at, a college is, is Philadelphia University, uh, where I'm a fellow at now. And it's an incredible school where every young person makes something and learns how to sell it and hmm. market it. It's um, uh, genius and a, a lot of people um uh, not um out west in particular have not been aware of it and i I want to raise the awareness for their uh type of multi um disciplinary and experiential education
3: it so i mean the the interesting thing is there are resources i guess this would be a, an ideal thing for school teachers uh you know and and just families parents clubs like you could create a club you could create Uh, something in a a school, and uh, what a great way to give back. I mean, if you just had one or two real businesses come out of that a year, how empowering.
9: Absolutely. And I even look at it more fundamentally than that. If if you have every child in the state do a simple five-page business plan on their comparative advantage, that would change the state as much as anything a politician could do Hmm. in my opinion or any one person could do and you just make it into a contest and and you have a a three-day period where every child focuses on a business idea either individually or, or as a group i'm trying to get that going globally where every child in the world and there are one billion children that live in poverty. It's horrible, and and they're recruited to be, you know, terrorists and all this stuff, where they're normal people, just like you know you and I, yeah. and neighbors, and, and just want to live uh, uh, normal lives and create uh, value and wealth. But in, when you're in poverty, it's so painful, you'll do almost anything to get out of it. So I look at this movement as a global movement for every child in the world. And if, if we, even every year, every, uh, every one day or two days a year, every child wrote a business plan and tried to sell one thing for a dollar, I think psychologically we would, we'd, uh, make uh, huge breakthroughs in uh, a lot of, um, uh, problems that we have on a global basis. Mm.
3: No, I agree. That's powerful. Okay, well, I think uh, it's the beginning, isn't it? it? Steve, we appreciate you being with us. What a great thing I think you're offering uh, the, the people of, um, I mean, our kids to be able to just get that they can be a creative source, and that they already could have a competitive advantage. Uh, wow, changing the paradigm as well as the economics of our country. Go check out uh, the book and and the website nfte.com network for teaching entrepreneurship and also go look up uh, Steve's book the, about uh, the entrepreneurs manifesto and entrepreneurs manifesto plus all of his other uh, materials for learning entrepreneurship and teaching entrepreneurship by Steve Mariotti we'll take a break come back wrap up hour number 2 of the program stick with us this is the Matt Townsend show Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What a great lesson to teach, to teach your kids to be an entrepreneur. It's a big deal. You can make some moolah. I'm, My, just, I'm just trying to teach them to clear the table, put it in the sink. <laughs> My daughter learned to, to be a music teacher at age 14 and has now turned it into a big business. You just teach them young. Then, then it's like, no, yeah, you got to pay for your own stuff now. I keep telling my son, he works at a car wash. You know, you could open your own detailing shop. Start with my car. Not interested, apparently. (sighs) Oh, well. Hey, uh, it didn't take long for a University of Michigan student to take advantage of the newfound ability to designate a personal pronoun on the campus roster. So when you sign up for school and class... You get to now at the University of Michigan choose your own pronoun, right? So you could be, I guess, what like Mister, yes, Mrs.? I talked to you before about the the Zer, yeah, Zer Z, Zer Z. So Zer's kind of the non male, non female. Yes, Zer Z, Monsieur, Monsieur. You could go. In. Um, he chose to go with uh, the lesser, the the lesser known at least here in the United States. He wanted to be called uh, uh, His Majesty. <laughs> UM, University of Michigan, announced Thursday that students could designate a personal pronoun. Grant Strobel chose His Majesty. And uh, now everybody, when, when they read his name, like on the rolls, they have to say, uh, His Majesty Grant Strobel. I'm not sure if the sound
4: comes with it. It should. Or at least he should have a, an app or something on his phone so he yeah. can play it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? If every time you did a roll call, they're like, oh geez, Okay, so uh, is His Majesty, Mr. Grant Strobel here? Yes, yeah. I am, sir. Present. I think that would make... I think they've created a problem. They
4: have. They're trying to be inclusive of every single person and every single preference Yeah. of how you want to be designated but in doing so, it's gotten to kind of a ridiculous level.
3: Well, and so does the teacher, like, not read it? But then you're if – if somebody really wanted to be called Z or Zer or Mr. Yeah. Mr.
4: Mr. or Mrs., depending yeah. on your – whatever you want. Yeah. It's, I, so he does this to just kind of protest. <laughs> well, and they, and they, I guess they don't have to use it because they can see that it's not what they're intending it to be. But then he could lodge a protest because they're not following these. their own program.
5: I am royalty. Yeah. What would your designation be?
3: Dude. The dude
5: just Well, the well dude. he
4: makes us call him doctor.
3: Doctor. That'd be
4: called doctor. See? I mean there's it's right there. Oppression. His his excellency, Dr. <laughs> Matthew Townsend. The high potentate.
3: Yes. hmm. There you go. Who put the po in potentate? There you go. You're the <laughs> popo, is that what you're saying? <laughs> the popo with the MoMo. Okay, hour number two. It's in the books. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back. More fun, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is our third and final hour of this beautiful, well, that's debatable, but it is Monday morning. Wasn't it raining when we came in? It was. Sort of? Slightly, yeah. Okay. So, uh, at least this first segment is Sans Dr. Matt. Unfortunately, Uh He KS, stepped up for a minute. Yeah. It'll we, be alright. We should just make some... He uh, went out to get some cronuts. I don't know. They're just down the road. He went to say thank you to our wonderful boss, Don Shaline because today, as we have mentioned, it is Boss's Day. It is Boss's Day. Have you ever... I feel almost bad saying this, but w- have you had just like a really bad boss that maybe wasn't as deserving? Oh yeah, of this boss's day. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, no names, any stories, any uh, anything that made him not such a great just, boss?
4: Just generally not nice.
5: Interesting. You know? I mean, you don't have to be a, a jerk
4: when you come around and tell people what to do, being you know in a position of authority, but. People were just jerks.
5: Some people just don't they seem, know how to
4: be a boss. They seem to be happy being a jerk.
5: Yeah. They enjoy coming down
4: and doing that. So you didn't I mean just you can be nice about it. We understand you you have this position, but he yeah. was really involved in
5: uh So being it's either jer- a power trip or they're not quite sure how to be a boss. I had a you know, I don't know if I've I can't think of a boss that I've had that's been really bad, but I can remember one one time who when he found out that I did, you know, sketch comedy and different voices and things like that. He was like, "Oh, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell me a joke?" There you go. Say Man. something funny. Yeah, I felt like I was in a, you know, in a saloon in the old west, where somebody was shooting at my feet, saying, "Dance for me, cowboy." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was not a nice thing to do.
4: Yeah, it's always hard when they come, they walk up, and they go, "Be funny, right now." Yeah, and you're like, "Well, the...
5: it's not like a light switch yeah. or a jukebox. Just don't turn it on." Yeah. Um, okay. Today is also clean up your virtual desktop day. What's your desktop look like right now? Very clean. Oh, man. I need to swing by and get some pointers from you. Mine.
4: I just save everything into a folder. Don't save it to the desktop.
5: Mine looks like a virtual pigsty. Just a mess. Yeah. But people do that. They
4: like having things everywhere. I like having things organized so I know where they're at, really.
5: I don't. But, you know, I guess the, the, the first important step is admitting that you have a problem. Yes. So we're making progress at least. Uh, Sadie, what does your virtual desktop look like? Clean. Clean as a whistle. Uh, today is also Mulligan Day. Have you ever had to take a mulligan? Uh, in golf or in life? In golf, in life, on the show.
4: Sure. <laughs> I mean, nothing Nothing specific comes to mind. But, yeah, you've always wanted – you're looking to maybe a second chance after you mess yeah.
5: up. We have a, a sort of a mulligan button on the board here. It's called the dump button. Yes. Hopefully we never have to use it. I've never had to use it so far, but uh, there's a, a first time for everything. Uh, anyway, uh, we will be talking about more fun things like Mulligan Day and, and Bosses Day. We do have some important headlines. And who better to tell us about those – headlines than our very own sadie nielsen sadie what is going on in the world today
6: Carolina emergency officials have estimated that the destructive and deadly Hurricane Matthew has caused $1.5 billion worth of damage to more than 100,000 homes, businesses and government buildings in the state. The state's Department of Public Safety said in a release issued over the weekend that county and state officials were still surveying the damage left behind by the storm. More than 30 deaths in the United States have been blamed on Matthew. Hoboken Terminal will operate Monday at a full service for the first time since a deadly New Jersey commuter train crash. During the height of rush hour on September 29th, the train had hurtled past its stopping point at Hoboken Station and ramped through a passenger concourse, killing a woman waiting on the platform and injuring more than a hundred others. Weeks after the incident, the station is still undergoing repairs. Some of the pathways have been reconfigured, according to the New Jersey Transit. Starting early this morning, Hoboken Terminal will open six more tracks and resume full service, according to a release from the transit agency. A local Republican Party office in North Carolina has been damaged by fire and someone spray painting the an anti-GOP slogan referring to Nazi Republicans on a nearby wall. Authorities said Sunday the building was hit with graffiti and flammable material was thrown through a window at the Orange County Republican Party. Headquarters overnight starting a fire inside, police said in an email. A news release said that an adjacent building was spray-painted with the words, Nazi Republicans leave town or else. State GOP Director Dallas Woodhouse said no one was injured, but a security alert is being sent to party offices around the state. And finally, yes, in our pumpkin news for today. Oh,
5: man. Gotta get to the pumpkin news. Listen up,
6: this is great. A giant pumpkin that weighs the same as four baby elephants is being donated to feed a 1,000 homeless people. Hmm. Ray and Sarah Armstrong's winter squash tips the scale at a whopping 820 pounds, roughly the same as a horse. It's so big that it had to be transported in a horse box from their home in South Clifton, Nottingham, before being loaded into the city center with a forklift truck. After taking second prize at a national giant pumpkin competition, the couple decided to give their gigantic grow away to feed the homeless in soups huh soups so pumpkin soup for all
5: okay are they gonna are they gonna spice it up with a side of something else
6: uh probably bread okay bread goes pretty well or as, as Maybe it's some... not
5: baby elephant that would be wrong
6: yes that would be wrong and unethical and horrible
5: probably
4: disgusting too
6: yeah i'm guessing that probably doesn't taste very good
4: well wow. do you yeah. think a pumpkin that big keeps its flavor well I don't know. Sometimes things, when they grow larger than normal,
5: they kind of lose their... Tastes funny. Yeah. You got to put in a little bit of pumpkin spice. Yep. Maybe some allspice. And then maybe some old spice. Some clove. Clove.
6: Isn't that that what goes in pumpkin spice?
5: I don't know. Pumpkin pie, yeah.
4: Oh, okay. All I know is pumpkin spice tends to go in everything else. And I'm
5: okay with that. At least for a month. That sounds good. Some squash soup. That does not taste like baby elephants. Yes. Okay.
6: Let's go with it. Perfect.
5: Sadie, thank you so much for those headlines. As always, you nailed it. Nailed it. Well, uh, we unfortunately didn't get to talk about this in the first hour, so we did want to spend a couple of minutes here um, talking about the SNL mock debate that was spoofing the the second debate that Hillary and and Donald had the other night, right? No, Sunday night.
4: Donald Trump, this was at uh, 5.14 a.m., so it would be Eastern time, uh, on uh, Sunday. He, uh, he goes on these late-night tweet storms, they call them, where he puts out like five, six, seven in a row, where he's just sort of ranting about different things. And uh, he went off on Saturday Night Live. He said, watch Saturday Night Live, hit job on me, time to retire, the boring and unfunny show, Alec Baldwin portrayal stinks, media rigging the election.
5: Now, this is the same show that Donald Trump just hosted last season, right? Yes. But it's boring and unfunny.
4: Now it's boring and unfunny. When he was on, it was a great show, record hit, everything's <laughs> when, the best. When he
5: was on it uh, one season ago.
4: Yes. <laughs> so now it's horrible. and it needs to be canceled. But So when I read hmm. that, I had not seen this clip, this this skit they did, which is their cold open, where they opened the show and they yeah. were read reenacting the second debate the uh, the town hall that they had and i was like i didn't see any of this so you watch it and i don't know it didn't seem as funny as other things they have done this season but that was my opinion uh but this is some of the things he didn't like we'll go with clip six there this is the intro
7: hello and welcome to the second and worst ever presidential debate <laughs> Now let's get this nightmare started. Please help us
5: welcome the candidates. Republican nominee Donald Trump, and can we say this yet? Probably fine.
6: President Hillary Clinton.
5: <laughs> so they're probably pretty close to the truth there.
4: Yeah, it's it's always pretty angled, but Saturday Night Live does do a good job of kind of hitting back at Hillary Clinton. If you'll play, what is it, clip uh, nine? This is her trying. This is Hillary Clinton trying to be relatable.
7: Because as my best friend Michelle Obama once said, when they go low, you go high. I love that quote. Almost as memorable as when I said trumped up, trickle down economics. Just a couple of equally famous quotes from a couple of equally lovable women.
4: At one point she's, uh, she goes over to talk to somebody and uh, I don't know, she what she goes i'm going to just lean lean very uh, naturally on this chair right so she kind of mm-hmm. steps back leans back on the chair and it looks so awkward that she can't figure out how to lean on this chair how to stand how to do anything because it's all rehearsed right everything's calculated so they they kind of right. hit her quite a bit on that that she's kind of fake
5: you know what's funny about these debates is or these uh, snl spoofs of these debates is that they're actually really close to the actual debates. They, they they'll pretty much take verbatim lines from the debate and use them in their spoof. Take uh, clip seven as Hillary Clinton answers a question from the audience.
9: Hi, Patrice. Uh,
7: let me uh, start by walking over to you just as I practiced. Right, left, right, left, right, left, plant speech. speak. Uh, now, uh, Patrice, you're a teacher? No. Uh, you have kids? No. You like kids? No. You've seen kids? Yeah. Okay, great. We're bonding already. Oh, my friend Patrice. Patrice, I, I strive to be a positive role model for all children. Uh, children like my daughter, Chelsea, and my granddaughter, Chelsea junior
4: <laughs> Right, left, right, left. Everything's rehearsed. Everything's calculated. She can't just be a normal human being and have an interaction with somebody. And they, they really pulled those out in these debates, which is kind of funny.
5: Do you think she needs to be relatable as the president?
4: It helps to seem comfortable talking to normal people so that it doesn't seem like you're just she, uncomfortable in your own skin at all times.
5: They play ah, her perfectly. What? Matt,
3: you I'm back. Walk Whoa. back in. I was Whew. just right here. I was here the whole time. You guys just kept talking without me. Did you not notice I was here? No. I was, yeah, was, was, I was behind of scary. your screen. Hey, speaking
5: of scary, do you want to hear my second pick for the 12 Days of Halloween movies? Yes, I do. Okay. So here is me introducing the second pick of the 12 Days of Halloween movies. Okay. This is Jeff Simpson here with my second pick for the 12 Days of Halloween movies. In case you forgot, my first pick for the 12 Days of Halloween movies was Jaws, a film about a monster that lives and attacks people. Under the sea. Here's the thing, though. If you're afraid of being eaten alive by a great white shark, just don't go in the water. Simple, right? Well, the genius of my second pick is that its monster resides underground. So if you're afraid of being eaten alive in this scenario, just don't walk on the ground... Yeah. Good luck with that one.
8: I feel the earth move under my feet.
5: Well, the heroes of this film spend 90 minutes trying to do just that thing. The semi-obscure 1990 film Tremors. Tremors takes place in the fictitious desert community of Perfection, Nevada where the 14 people who live there discover underground creatures who snatch up their victims using their giant, snake-like tentacles. They're coming! Tremors has everything a 10-year-old boy could want in a film. Monster guts, explosions... Oh yeah, and Kevin Bacon, who, according to comedian and hungry man Jim Gaffigan, is all you really need in a film. But despite Kevin Bacon's presence the movie's best moment comes from the trigger-happy odd couple of Family Ties' Michael Gross and country singer Reba McIntyre, heard here defending themselves from the monsters they call Graboids.
1: We don't see anything, Val. Bert! They're under the ground! They're under the ground! Big monsters underground! Now get out! Hurry!
5: This film is practically a love letter to the campy creature features of the 50s. But unlike many of those films, we're laughing with the characters, not at them. This is a very funny movie that's even a bit scary at times. And while it wasn't a huge hit at the box office, the high home video sales seemed to justify four sequels as well as a TV series. This valley is just one long smorgasbord. I'll be back tomorrow with my next pick for the 12 days of Halloween movies. Until then, be careful, because your next step may be your last.
3: Welcome back, friends. In the studio with us today, Dr. Brian Willoughby is joining us, an assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. He's also the director of the Relate Institute, a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. If you go to the website RelateInstitute.com, you can take assessments and then figure out – you take them, your spouse takes them. You can also do them as singles, and it'll teach you what to do to kind of get ready to be a better partner – or to be a better partner. Exactly. Love Everything it. you need. Love it. Uh, just found out about the good Dr. Brian Willoughby that he loves a good horror movie. That's right. This
10: is my one of my favorite times of year. Is it really? Have the house all decorated.
3: That's just messed I up.
10: I know. Like, does well, your wife like these? Oh, no, not at all. She not did. at all. No, she's she's, romance. she's romantic yeah. comedy. <laughs> romance. Right. She Sleepless is. in Seattle.
3: Yes. And you like like The Shining in Seattle.
10: Yeah. So we have a very interesting movie collection at home because she has all of her ah. romantic comedies. I've got all my horror movies.
3: We're going to have you back in a couple of weeks to talk about horror movies.
10: I could do that for a very long time. Because
3: Jeff loves them. Yeah. You two ought to just go do a little movie I never event. get to watch them, though, because my wife refuses to watch them. I know, but that's fine because Brian can then help you save your marriage after you that's
5: blow right.
10: it. That's right.
3: By watching them. So today, though, Brian, you wanted, uh, you brought up this idea of talking about butting out, the, like losing the word but. We use right. we use but a lot. Like I love you, but you drive me crazy. Exactly.
10: Yeah. It's, Not good. It's it's one of those communication words, right? Oftentimes, single words don't have that much power, but right. the word but does major, particularly when we're in conflict, when we're when we're trying to talk about things, because when it comes down to it. When when we hear the word but, yeah. we immediately assume that whatever you said before that doesn't matter.
3: Dismiss it, ignore it. That's right. You don't. Yeah, you're a jerk. But yeah. I like you.
10: Right. Exactly. And the Hold problem on. is yeah. in a relationship, is we oftentimes when we're when we're talking about something that we're struggling with or we're apologizing, the the good thing that we say happens before the but. Right. And then we say the but. Yeah. And then it dismisses all the good things that we said.
3: And we even there's people that teach that technique. You know, it's a, it's a sandwich. Say something positive, mm-hmm. then say what you got to say, the negative thing, and then say something positive again. Right. But but if you add the word but, so you're great, but you're
10: not, but you're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, this is one of those cases where what might work really well in the workplace, yeah. in negotiations and, mm-hmm. and all those things about no. being a good, powerful leader, right. don't translate very well in at a home. mutual relationship at home.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Darn it. So the the funny thing is because
10: butt is language,
3: when you hear a butt, your brain naturally thinks kind of disregard or hold the first thing said in a position but really believe what I'm about to tell you.
10: Yeah, it's it's, it's about communicating to someone that, well, I have two things to say. And the second thing is more important. And like I said, unfortunately, that's oftentimes the criticism to our partner yeah. or the thing that they did wrong or the thing that I don't like that they've done. And so the apology or the positive thing that I said beforehand is is, is being devalued. It's so subtle, really. So what do you replace a but with? So we talked about at the Related Institute in our blog post, we talked about a period. Just end Just the end sentence, it. right? Now, the problem with that is that as soon as we do that, we get... Anxious and vulnerable, because mm-hmm. again, yeah, because we I usually gave, have said something yeah. like, "I apologize, I did this wrong," and then we want, we really, really, really want to <laughs> yeah. justify that and explain why we did it wrong and why it was partially your fault. And so, having the courage to simply end the sentence there, yeah, and allow that apology or allow that communication, allow that emotion to sit with our partner is
3: just hard. Sit. Just, just, and I guess. Do we just feel like there needs to be an explanation? There needs to be a justification. Yeah, because it if needs-
10: I if I'm communicating with my partner and I say, you know, I'm really sorry that I raised my voice at you, cricket, Cr- yeah, exactly. Cricket. And it's, but I want to tell you why I did it, and Yeah. I want to because I I feel bad about that, and I I feel like I you know whether it's fear that that I'm not a good person, or I'm worried that you're not going to think yeah. I'm a good person. I, we always feel like we need that justification. Right. We live in a society in many ways that, that needs justification for everything.
3: Well, we're hearing it in the political discourse. I mean Donald Trump's video thing, we hear about it and then – but it's just locker room talk. Right. Yep. I'm sorry. What? I didn't mean it, but yeah. here's all the reasons yeah. why I did it. It's not locker. I mean, yeah. What? Right. What? So if we could sit in that silence, I mean it's, it's pretty – it's very real.
10: Yeah, it's very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. And that's that's what distinguishes healthy relationships sometimes is that ability to be vulnerable. Do – so if I – like let's say I'm
3: sorry I hurt you, period. My, my wife also would have a responsibility in that space it seems like to keep it safe. Right.
10: Yes. As, and this is the two-way part of good communication, yeah. right, is that when I become vulnerable and I, I apologize and I express my emotion or my regret – That's when the other partner has to come in and not pounce. Yeah, well, well, yeah, so why'd you do it? Right, that's that's part of the reason why we add those butts into our communication is where we're preparing ourselves for the attack. So I'm going to attack first so that (laughs) I don't give you the opportunity to come in and say, well, yeah, of course you made a mistake and here's why you made the mistake. Here's why you're never going to do it again. Instead of having that, now I need to come back and say, I really appreciate that you apologize. In fact, here's what I did. Wrong, Hmm. period, right? And if you can get to that place, it's a really amazing place in a relationship where now, look, we've both come to the place where we're admitting our faults to each other. We haven't had to be criticized. We didn't have to have you attack me. I'm being honest with you in my communication. And that's a much better place to be in a relationship.
3: Well, and how many times have I heard somebody say, all I wanted was an apology? Right. You just would never apologize. Yeah. So then all of a sudden you do and leave it with a period and it works. Yeah. Then what? It's like, whoa. Oh, wow.
10: And you do have to be careful. Like I said, is when I have a partner that's apologizing to me, I can't immediately say, well, great. I'm glad you learned your lesson. Yeah. Don't ever do it you again. You got that, right? loser. Because then you start to get this power <laughs> right. differential. You start to get some self-worth problems. And, mm-hmm. and if I put myself in that vulnerable place and it's not reciprocated, yeah. I'm not going to do it again.
3: What do you say to people that um, – I have a lot of people that talk about – it's kind of one-sided in the apologizing field in their marriage, that only one party apologizes very easily mm-hmm. and maybe – so one does. One one always apologizes quickly and maybe one never apologizes.
10: Right. Then that might be something – if I'm feeling that, that is something we need to talk about and communicate about and I can use these same strategies and I can bring it up and say, you know, I feel like I'm always the one that apologizes. Mm. Stop. Right? Period. Right? And now wait, 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 I've said wait, wait. here's how I feel – yeah, it's a feeling statement. Right. So I'm not accusing statement. you. I'm not accusing you. I'm saying you never apologize. Yeah, right. I feel like I'm always the one that apologizes in this relationship, yeah. and I'm struggling with that. It's making me feel sad. It's you know what. What can we do about this? There you
3: go. And then
10: wait. Right, and then I wait because now we need to have a conversation. Now, if I have a relationship. Where I'm doing those things and my partner is now always attacking or not reciprocating, mm-hmm. well, then there might be something deeper yeah. going on.
3: And if I guess part of this is if I – there's almost a spirit where if you went home and just learned, OK, we're going to just start using more periods, mm-hmm. no more buts. I'm just going to – I learned this. Dr. Willoughby taught me this. I'm going to use this um, to kind of know it's coming ahead of time. Do you? How do you suggest you you prepare somebody – for what you're about to tell them.
10: Yeah. So this this is a great general conversation about being proactive in a relationship, yeah. right? Is that it's one thing to know something like this, like I'm not going to use a butt statement and, and so I'm going to work on that. It's oftentimes more productive to bring this up Outside of conflict, right? So we're not fighting anything. Say, hey, I learned this thing. I heard this thing on the radio. I really want us to try this because I notice we do this a lot. Let's put each other on alert about butt statements in a relationship. And so part of now what we're doing is you can almost make it a game. Yeah. Is when we're talking about, oh, oh, you said a butt. That's right. right? Yeah. And and now it's something that we're being proactive together in a relationship. And we know that's very powerful. When we have people in a relationship – that are being proactive. They're saying this relationship means enough to us that we're going to work on it. Mm. Even if we're fine, even if there's nothing going on, we're not in conflict, we're not in therapy. We just want to get better yeah. as a couple. Here's something we can do. That's really cool. So this is just – it's it's kind of just planning
3: ahead. It's preparing. It's communicating right. and then making it into a game. I, I guess we shouldn't have a scoreboard. Right.
10: Yep. You don't You don't Squid. put it on the whiteboard right? We <laughs> don't call a foul. First person in 10 gets to oh. sleep on the couch. No, it's... <laughs>
3: Look who just said but again.
10: Yep. Loser.
3: All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back more with Dr. Brian Willoughby uh, and the Relate Institute. Again, go to the website, relateinstitute.com, where you can take their assessments, their, their downloads, and just learn and learn and learn. It never ends to uh, what you can do to improve a relationship. If you'd work on it, stick with us. We'll be right back.
9: You have to follow it. I know you're right, but but what? Everyone I know
8: has a big butt.
3: It's the butt. You Come can't on. just throw the the Talk butt about in there.
9: Your big butt.
3: <laughs> I love you, but the minute you hear that word, you think no, you don't. Yep. I love you, but. Not so much. Joining us is Dr. Brian Willoughby. Uh, He's an associate professor here in the School of Family Life at BYU and also the director of the Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. It's that big B-U-T. Yeah, right in the middle of the sentence. Uh, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. That's right. Hey, um, so one thing you taught us is instead of using the word but, just – Put a period at the end of the sentence and let it let it lie. Mm-hmm. Just let it be there. That's right. Um, another word I've heard is and.
10: Yes. How, do you, how does and work? So, so and is a way that you can further explain an emotion, right? So I, I could – if we go with what we were talking about before, I could say I feel really hurt.
3: Right? Yeah.
10: So then I'm not using a but. Yeah. A period. But sometimes – that's not quite enough. Right. Right? My partner might need some more clarity. Right. Clarity is always important in communication. That's where Anne can come in, right? I feel really hurt, and I think it's about this is going give on in my more relationship. Data. Right? Give more detail. Yeah. Give an example. Giving examples is, is huge. I can remember one time I was uh, doing a class, and we were talking about this kind of communication, and, and one of the women in the room stood up and said, Well, I shouldn't have to give examples to my husband. Because he should just get He should it. know. He should know. Yeah. <laughs> right? And we, well, we had to talk a little bit about it. Right. Oh, sometimes, you know, men can be really dumb. Yeah. Sometimes they, they need just examples. don't know. Well, well, sometimes I give him like two examples and he still doesn't get it. What am I supposed to do then? Give them a third example. Give them four. Give them five. Four. Yeah. Give them five until it clicks. And that, that's where that and can come into play. giving more detail, giving explanation, giving clarity.
3: There's an assumption that there is that. I guess that's the problem with communication is the assumption you're doing it. Right. Right.
10: Yeah. And sometimes we forget communication is always a guessing game. Yeah. That's all we're doing. When we're communicating with each other, I'm trying to send you information that you can make then an educated guess. So the right. more information I can send you, the more accurate your guesses are going to be. About how I feel.
3: Wouldn't that be great if all we could do is see communication not as a – it's just as furthering the data set Mm -hmm. and know that we're all guessing. Yep. Sometimes we guess way off. That's right. But it's just still a guess. We don't always try to be offensive. Yeah.
10: That's all it is.
3: And then another thing you bring up is the fact that one thing you could say with a period is an I'm sorry. Yeah. Talk about the power of expressing that.
10: Yeah, there's there's a lot of power in in not focusing just on what my partner is doing wrong. We all have a tendency to do that. We all are very much aware of what our partner is doing that we don't like and yeah. what they're doing that's making us feel a certain way. So there's power in, in, in focusing inward and saying in every relationship, in every conflict, there's two people that are making mistakes, right? We're both flawed. So instead of focusing on what you're doing and what you need to do better or what you did wrong... I'm going to focus on what I need to work mm. on. And then I'm going to articulate that with an apology. Right. That I am truly sorry for this thing in the relationship that I did. Yeah. Even though in my head I know we – and you did this, 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 this. We don't say the but. Right, right. right? We just apologize. And there's power. Our, our partners will feel that vulnerability and that power.
3: What if they think that you just always say that? you like – you say it, mm-hmm. but you don't change.
10: Right. And again, back to what we talked about with communication. Communication and this, this – Counteracts a lot of what even some therapists and some other self-help gurus will say. Yeah. Communication is not about behavior; right, it's about understanding each other. Now, in a relationship, we have to have behavior to back things up, right. but that's to, not what the communication's about. It's about understanding each other. And if I'm not doing something, so if I'm always apologizing, or I feel like my partner's always apologizing but not doing anything, my communication now is not about to try to get you to do that thing. It's right. about Helping you understand that I feel that way.
8: Yeah, yeah. By
10: saying, hey, you know, I feel like we've been here a lot and it feels to me like we have these conversations and then we go back to, to what happened before. Let's, what do we think that's about? Hmm. Right? I know I'm not accusing you. It's yeah. not about you. It's about there's something that's not clicking with us. Let's talk about and help us understand what that is. Because
3: I can, I can understand you. And not agree. Right. I can also understand you and not know how to fix it. I can understand you and want to fix it and still not fix it. Right.
10: Yeah. And that can then be part of that – what we talked about earlier, that proactive working together mm. is to say, OK, we've been in this place many times. We've apologized or we've, you've apologized. It doesn't feel like we've done anything. Let's talk. And now, that we've, now we can talk and together let's figure out what we can both do mm. to make the action come about.
3: That may be it, right? Because if, if communication is about understanding, then – and it's not necessarily about the behavior changing. It's about understanding it. Right. Then I also could manage my expectation of you. Right. So okay. if you've told me 500 times you, you're sorry and you apologize and even show emotion mm-hmm. and you still don't change, yeah. then I could start to manage my expectation. That's right.
10: Yeah. And as soon as we start to use our communication to get you to do something mm-hmm. instead of understanding, now we have a form of negative communication that we call controlling communication, right. yeah. which is bad. Manipulative, yeah. Yep. Ooh, ugly. Yes.
3: Ugly. But uh, along with every apology or an I'm sorry, the opposite side has a phrase they can use.
10: That's right. I forgive you. Yeah. Right? And we talked about that earlier too is is when I have a partner that apologizes or is being vulnerable, I can't jump and seize that and say, Great mm-hmm. I get to now tell you yeah. that you 're absolutely right, and you 've done all these things wrong and part of of a polit- or part of forgiving someone is to truly move past that point, yeah, we see all the time in relationships where there 'll be conflict around whether it 's money or intimacy, whatever it is. And one person will apologize and then another person now gets to use that as a power card right. in the relationship. Well, at least I didn't do this or at least I didn't do that or at least I have my head on straight when it comes to this topic. <laughs> right. right? Truly forgiving them is saying, you've been vulnerable. I accept your apology. We're moving forward on neutral ground.
3: Yeah. Is, does actually saying the words do something to us psychologically, emotionally, chemically? Like yeah. saying I'm sorry, does it make me more sorry? And saying I'm I forgive you… Does it make me actually forgive you?
10: I think if we're doing it in the way we're talking about, you know, so it's not a I'm sorry, but, yeah, so here's but what you're, things you're, did, let's just get this over and with. And I just want to get it over with. If it's coming from a sincere place, I think there are there is power in, that, in those words Yeah. And there's power in I forgive you. And I think there's something when two people are doing that that bonds them, not just with their words, but emotionally. Mm-hmm. There's an emotional connection that we can feel. In that kind of conversation that I think transcends the actual words. And it seems like it
3: actually gives you power to do something. So sometimes when someone's hurt you, you almost feel powerless. Right. And – but being able to say I forgive you says I have the power to do something here. I'm going to forgive you.
10: And it fosters something deep down beyond just the commitment that we know is so vital. I'm convinced this is the most fundamental part of any long-term marriage or relationship – which is commitment. Mm-hmm. When we're with someone that's that's willing to apologize or with someone that's willing to forgive us, we automatically feel more invested in that person. Like, wow, that person has my back. Yeah. That person is in this thing and is willing to fight for it. I I I want to put more energy now into this relationship. I want to put more effort. I'm committed to this. And we uh, know that that is so vital to any healthy relationship. Cuz
3: yeah, that now we're safe. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. They do have my back. I want to be in this for a long time. Yeah, Man. You know, Brian, it's almost like you've studied this. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> He's uh, associate professor in the School of Family Life, Brian Willoughby. Thanks for being with us. Happy to be here. Two weeks. Apparently, we've already got your next topic.
10: Horror movies. Horror
3: movies. Yep.
10: That's, Better be a four-hour segment, I think.
3: I know. Uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll go in-depth. Yeah. And we'll, maybe Jeff can – I don't know. We'll figure out something fun. Scary, actually. <laughs> Hold
10: on, in two weeks... We're going to be a little past Halloween. It's going to be past that's Halloween. Okay. but That's all right. It's Halloween. Who wants Christmas? Yeah. and Thanksgiving.
5: No,
3: next week. Next week. Next week. Next no. week is when you're gone, don't you know? I'm gone next week, but I'm saying he's coming back in two weeks. So in two weeks, when he comes back... Two weeks it. from today is Halloween. <gasps> oh,
10: that's right.
3: Okay, perfect. There we go. Okay. Problem solved. Dr. Brian Willby will be talking uh, scary movies. Horror movies. In just two weeks. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, talk about scary, BYU and the Pac-12. No, no Big Ten. That'd be cool if they are going to the Pac-12. Big 12. Yeah, Big 12, sorry. Going to the Big 12. Uh, we'll be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Randy Newman, I love L.A., a tribute from Jeff Simpson to his L.A. Dodgers that won last night. Now they're tied in the series, right, with the Cubbies. One to one. But, uh, you know, that's not the biggest news today. It is. Not if you're a BYU fan. Who may want some Big 12 activity. So let's shoot it down to our good buddies, uh, Spencer and Jerem down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen.
7: Hello, Matthew. Hey.
3: Hey.
7: How goes it, brother? Great. It's good to win, isn't it?
3: It's so good to win.
2: But that's what, not what BOA fans are most interested in today, is it, As it's, you It
3: seems like it's not. So update us. Today, what decision or what will? what's coming out of this press conference?
2: I'll tell you what's going to happen. Okay. You want to know? Yeah, please. Here it is. Here's what they're going to say, in my opinion, what I think will happen. Okay, mm-hmm. this is what
7: Jerem thinks is going, to, think's
2: okay. going to happen. okay. Who knows? They don't even know. They're figuring it out. Yeah, right I don't now. think they know right now.
3: Yeah, they're just talking We're right still now. exploring expansion.
2: That's what they'll say, and we'll be like, "Oh, ah, oh, bummer." That that's what's going to happen. And and, and BYU TV, we will be live, uh, BYU Sports Nation specifically, uh, at six Eastern time. We will bring you the press conference. We wow, plug into that. Uh, what if- it's, it's available on the Big 12's uh, website? But we we will show it on our our platform today.
3: So the, so so one, you're saying they're going to come back saying we're still exploring it, but they, I guess they also could come back and say we've decided to go f- ahead with two teams. And we will be researching Maine those
2: in Eastern Washington.
3: Yeah, <laughs> there, there
2: are four options here, Maddie. Okay, talk, let's, let's, let's hear. Who are the expansion options? Expansion with BYU. Okay. another team. There's expansion without BYU. There's no expansion at all, and there's we're still
7: exploring expansion. Those oh boy!
3: Oh brother! Yeah. Do you think if they say that we are expanding, that they would actually know the two teams?
7: Yes, at this point, if yeah. they're going to expand, they have done all the research. I mean, they paid millions of dollars and brought in a third-party research, for crying out loud, to help mm. them determine mm. who is going to be the most viable and most financially sound and lucrative addition if they opt to do that. So I'm with Jerem, and I think it would be closed-minded of them for to say anything else other than, well, we're not going to expand now, but we'll look into it in the future. They're always looking. Yeah. And so I really feel like that's what's going to happen is, look, we've decided to table it for now. We'll look at it uh, on an annual basis to see if it benefits us. But for now, we're just going to stand pat and keep the 10 teams that we have. And there's this idea or this, I don't know if it's a confirmed report, but it sure feels like that when, when uh, certain entities are saying that the TV partners are going to pay the Big 12 to not expand.
3: Ah.
7: So instead of paying a ton of money, $25 million per year per team, to if they expand, we'll, we'll still give you more money, but we don't want to give you that much money, so just don't expand and we'll up the ante. Hmm. There's no smoke with expansion here.
8: No.
2: There's no smoke, so there's no fire. Yet, <laughs> the Big 12 has been so eccentric, eclectic, whatever you want to say, to the point where anything is possible today. Well, but I don't expect expansion to happen.
3: Is, and is the Big 12 the only group that could or would expand?
2: Right now, yes. Right now. Okay. It, it all depends on what's called grant of rights. That is, if a, teen, a conference says, okay, our grant of rights is until this year, and everyone agrees. Okay, cool. That means we get all your TV money if you leave from home games mm. until X year, right? So right now in the Big Twelve, that year is twenty twenty five. So let's say if someone left, no one wants to leave because they don't want to miss that, They don't want to lose out on that money, right? You'd only add, right? Right. So the ACC just extended their grant of rights until twenty thirty six. Oh wow! A month or two ago, so no one's leaving the ACC for a while. Yeah, the the Big Twelve. I don't anticipate will extend their grant of rights for a while. Because uh, no, one, no one wants out. But in 2025, the Big 12 could blow up. And there could be teams that go elsewhere. And then there's a bunch of uh, teams left over. And that's where, let's say, BYU doesn't get in today, per se. That's where BYU maybe could join a different new conference. That's kind of plan B, I think, hmm. is, is an idea out there. Um, but we will discuss that on the show today. Plus, as it's I mentioned, show. we'll be live at 6 Eastern time. Full coverage of all things Big 12 expansion or not. You guys uh, have a, up today.
3: Well, you have a very busy day. Plus it could be a very depressing day or it could be an incredible day.
7: Is it depressing if you expect though? Expect
2: BYU to get into the Big 12? I don't uh, think you're reading the tea leaves.
3: Well, it just I know. I I I just keep hoping that um in and why de- are you staring at tea leaves? divine real- intervention is what I'm hoping for.
7: That's the thing. Once once those 10 presidents get in that room, which they are right now, all bets are off. Because last time, remember We all thought that they were going to say, yeah, we're not going to expand right now. And then, I mean, every national rider was out there saying nothing's going to happen. And sure enough, they come out and say, hey, we're going to explore this vigorously and take a look at every candidate. And it was like, huh? Mm -hmm. What? What? What?"
3: So, um, okay, other than that, are you guys going to talk about the the game, the last game?
2: Oh, yeah. What's trending is not about the Big 12 today. Mm.
3: It's about the game. Okay, good. Because, I,
2: because we actually have facts and reality and that's what we rationale. Need. Yeah, that's what
3: we need.
7: Actual game played.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, double Whoa. overtime. I mean, that was pretty exhausting.
7: Well, that's par for the course this season, right? Yeah. That's true. I
3: felt like I actually played the game.
2: Part is down to the wire, baby, which is really fun, Yeah, right? It's a
7: shocker when BYU doesn't play yeah, a game within why seven points. that's Michigan State was.
2: Do you know why the fans stormed, by the way? Why? It was because they beat Toledo by two in a shootout. And one at Michigan State, and then one in double OT. It was a, it was a culmination of those three games, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, it was. They had to get it out of their system
2: because beating a, a two and three team, generally a team that lost to South Alabama, is not the merit does not merit serving the field. Right no. but a double overtime game and Klein's taki's first year and Jamal breaks the record, and there was a lot going on there. I so think... that was a nice win for the Cougars. They did not play well at all. In fact, they played pretty poorly. But they won that game, which is awesome.
3: I think it was more the fact that the students in The Rock, their legs were so cramped and exhausted <laughs> from standing for six hours <laughs> that they had to get down on the field.
2: Hey, any excuse to get down there?
3: You know? <laughs> well, it sounds like a great show.
2: We're stoked. We okay. think it's going to be a good one. And, Locked and and lo- a good day.
3: Yeah, and two shows, actually. Two
2: shows today, 6 Eastern busy, time. Busy, busy. Okay. Uh, we will be live tonight. We'll knock
3: them dead. I know you got to go wax on and get ready, so knock them dead.
2: Yeah, party.
3: Proud of you. Keep it up. Keep it up. Good stuff. Okay, so here's a fun one uh, from one of our uh, great producers, Leanna Tan. She says, being a middle child comes with some stigmas. You're not the oldest. You're not the baby of the family either. Plus, thanks to the middle child syndrome, people assume you're more likely to feel left out or neglected. Leanna Tan draws upon her own personal experience and explains the upside of being the middle child.
0: (laughs) I grew up the third of five children, and it was great. I always felt like I had the best birth order position because I had a bunch of great people surrounding me. But when I grew up and people heard I was a middle child, they were always like, oh, I'm sorry. That must have been hard for you. And I was really confused because I had no idea people viewed middle children like this. And then I heard about middle child syndrome, like it was some sort of disease wow people must really not know what it's like to be a middle child they must not realize how cool it is and maybe you're a middle child yourself and you've forgotten all the benefits your birth order really comes with so here let me help you out here are five perks of being a middle child you're the focus of every family photograph look
1: at me now look at me now oh
0: People think that middle children get looked over, but in reality, we're actually the center of attention. Walk into any living room, and who is it that you see first in that family portrait hanging over the fireplace? The middle child. Right smack dab in the center of the family. We're pretty much the family mascot. Two! You get the biggest wardrobe. No one really understands the beauty of hand-me-downs and hand-me-ups like middle children. Being the middle of five, I was never too small or too big for any of my siblings' clothes. I got to wear all my older sister's hand-me-downs, but still wasn't too big to borrow all my little sister clothes as well. And now that my little brother's bigger than me, I inherit some of his t-shirts too. You never feel left out. There's always somebody to hang out with you. You're not too young to hang out with the older kids or too old to hang out with the younger kids. It worked out great when we went to theme parks because if ever I was daring enough, I could just hop in line for the big coasters with my older siblings. But if I wanted to play it safe, I'd just say I was going to watch my younger siblings and hop in line for the kiddie rides. The pressure is off. You don't get the blame for arguing with your younger siblings all the time because you should know better. And you don't have to deal with the fear of having no idea what you're doing and the pressure of doing everything right. Oh,
8: oh, 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 in the out
0: for you. So your siblings don't take after your horrible example. I must say, it is nice knowing that there's always someone who has done things before me. He is like going to college or... Learning to ride a two-wheeler, it's kind of the universe to reserve parental nagging for older siblings. You get away with a lot. I can't remember the last time I got up to refill my own water at a family function. Every Thanksgiving, everyone is so busy talking that I just drink their water while they're chatting, and they never even notice... Of course, there's the fact that any time an older sibling passes on a responsibility to you, there will always be an even younger sibling you can pass it on to. A in your arms. It me you. So, I don't know what all the big fuss about middle child syndrome is. I think it should be called middle child privilege. Just prepare yourself for a lot of advice giving and peacekeeping. So, all you middle children, go master the art of drink stealing and enjoy your extended wardrobe. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent.
3: Thank you, Leanna. Well done. Hey, uh, as you know, we always like to wrap up the show with a hero story. And today's hero would be you, the Facebook fans of a, of a young Christopher uh, Cornelius, listen to this. Christopher is a young, a young kid, 11-year-old boy, who filled out a questionnaire, and the questionnaire asked, so who are some of your friends? And the answer to his question was, no one. And when the dad saw this, he posted this questionnaire on Facebook, and his son has now received between 4,000 to 5,000 letters, all wanting to be Christopher's friends, They've created a GoFundMe page and, and uh, for postage and supplies so that Christopher can answer these new 5,000 friends, all because a dad posted something on Facebook? Well, no, it's because you all that participated jumped in on that campaign and you decided you wanted to change the life of an 11-year-old boy. That's what makes a hero, folks, not just uh, you know courageous people, but sometimes those that have their heart moved and then are willing to act on it. That's why we do the show, to give you the tools, the information you need to be the heroes we need in this world. I'm telling you, it's just life, and we're all trying to get through it one day at a time. We'll be back tomorrow to give you more information, more ideas, more solutions to live healthier lives, to love stronger, and uh, for heaven's sakes, to live longer. We'll be back tomorrow. Check out our website, uh, themattownsenshow.com. We'll be back.